cinema oddities late night movies with ben rob and zach this is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre no more off kilter for contemporary audiences occasionally these projects gel most times they crash hard into their own obscurity join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp i'm zach i'm ben and i know when branzino's fresh and that was not fresh one of the moments from this movie that made me chuckle a little bit, but there's another moment that I didn't really want to turn into my intro. I actually wanted to say how kind of transcendent there's a, there's a certain line of dialogue in the second movie that we're discussing today, um, Spider-Man 2, Home 2, whatever it's called. But there's a moment when the kids have to go to the opera to stay indoors while the elemental attack is going to happen right at the middle of the movie. And Martin Starr, as the the teacher, as the chaperone, he says something like, you know, oh, it'll be fun, we're going to the opera. All the kids are like, oh, I don't want to go to the opera. What, Ned or whatever is is trying to get everybody to go. And there's, once they all kind of agree or, you know, give into the whims of the teacher, the teacher says something like, I hope you're all excited for the next four hours of your life. And they all go, four hours? I need to start putting that in front of our episode, Zach. Like, the original, the Sam Raimi trilogy. (laughs) I wish I knew about this quote two weeks ago, because I would have put that as the cold open of the episode, you know? The teacher going, everybody look forward to the next four hours of your life. So I'm going to have to cut that clip out and save it somewhere special, because I know it's going to be of great use to cinemodities later on. We're going to the opera. Don't look at me. What happened to the carnival? Oh, this is upgrade living, guys. Come on. The tour company just gave us these tickets for free. Do you have any idea how much opera tickets cost? No, because none of us have ever wanted to go to the opera, ever. Uh, Well, I think this is going to be culturally enriching for us. Thank you, Ned. Everyone, this is going to be maybe the best four hours of our whole trip. Four hours? Guys, I think this is going to be really fun. Seriously. The but, Matrix Reloaded. That's, yeah, there we go. <laughs> we have many episodes in the can that will, will uh, that quote will lend itself well towards. But we are here to continue on with our Spider-Man series. We don't know what we're calling it yet, but that'll come up in a minute, of course. We are now discussing the third iteration of Spider-Man movies, directed by John Watts, of course, starring Tom Hi- Hi- Holland, Highland Holland in the titular character, and the ones that finally enter the MCU. So I'm not really looking forward to discussing these movies. So let's do something else first. Let's talk about what we're going to name this series. So I think we've, re- we've been recording these out of order, but I think we all kind of stand. I want it to be Spider-Man's giving. I think, Ben, you were leaning more towards the spectacular Spider-Month. And, Zach, I don't remember which one you were saying. Was there one you had your, your chips on? Oh God! I think it's uh, oh God, the, oh God, the Podchowski casters. I think that's oh, what I want to call. I'm sorry, spoiler alert. That's next month's series. Oh God! Oh God! Um, <laughs> so we have a new suggestion because two weeks ago when we uh, released our Sam Raimi trilogy episode, uh, we said I think at the end of that episode. So somebody actually had to make it to the end of the episode or close to the end of it. Um, we said, you know, hey, let's see what our fans think. If anybody wants to hit us up and has an idea for this series name, feel free to throw it throw it at us. And uh, we received one uh, through Reddit um, from none other than our good friend Maximo. Of course Maximo is going to give us a little idea for the name of the series. And so this is what it is. It's, it's fairly long, so I'm just going to say it out, outright, and then we can discuss it, see if it should fit into, uh, you know, the fourth possibility for this series name. Here we go. His idea for the series title is Spider Month, colon, Into the Cinemodities Restaurant, colon, three. 
colon, no way home, colon, amazing. So just to reiterate, it is Spider Month into the Cinematis Restaurant 3, No Way Home Amazing. And there are one, two, three, four colons in that title. <laughs> so what do you guys think? Any initial thoughts? Because when I first read it, I, I kind of fell in love with it. <laughs> it's like a Tim and Eric like, sketch title almost. Yes. Ben, it reminded me a lot of the one that you also were saying. Um, what was it? Sp- Spider-Man... He's like a spider, but a man. What was the other one you were thinking of, Ben? He's like a spider, but he's a man. <laughs> okay, yeah, so it's... got some layers to it. I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Ben? You, what do you think about this amalgamation of tons of different things? Uh, into the Cinemodities Restaurant, No Way Home. That's great. Because uh, yes. that's what the Cinemodities Restaurant is. Uh, the amazing part at the end of it, I, I, would, I, would, I would not leave it at the end of it. I would put it somewhere else or take it out. Okay, okay. Uh, so it was, uh, see, we could even go with Amazing Spider Month into the Cinemodities restaurant, No Way Home. I, I'm with you, Ben. I really like the idea of, of having, you know, No Way Home or, or something involving never getting back home and the Cinemodities restaurant in the same uh, statement or title or something like that. Because you're right, that, that's the whole shtick, you know? <laughs> we, we could just go with what I was joking about. Was Spider-Man no way to get far enough from Homecoming? Yes, something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, uh, we're, we'll take this into account. We'll put this all in the spreadsheet. Maybe this is going to get resolved in the final episode of the series uh, at the end of November. If it doesn't, maybe it'll be a slight talking point uh, when we get to the four-year extravaganza. But kind of, guys, I I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this episode and editing the others in this month that we've done so far. This might be the first series we have where everybody just gets their own name for it. Like, are we ever going to reach a conclusion? (laughs) Like, is this going to be the first series where it's like, well, what's that? What's November of 2021? It's going to be like, well... It's all about Spider-Man, but what you call it, which is irrelevant to the series and the discussions, you know, it changes based on which host you ask. <laughs> I like how you code that in the spreadsheet. Oh, <laughs> okay. So I, I just thought of a new one. Oh, okay. Uh, Spider-Man, <laughs> it, it's like a series, but it doesn't have a name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, that you, That's another wrench ban, adding something in this title of the series referring to how it has no title. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right, we got plenty to think about, and we can mull this over as we go through these movies and uh, maybe bring it up at the end. But this is the first time in this series that we're finally getting the Spider-Man movies that I have never seen before. And both Homecoming and Far From Home... Yep, that's what it's called. I had to write that down. <laughs> uh, that... I have been dreading these, specifically because they are part of the MCU. Now, I, I, I don't really think, you know, that's my context is what I'm getting at. I know the MCU, never seen these movies, never really had interest to see these Spider-Man movies, because you get enough of the MCU from the major ones, like, you know, Infinity War and Endgame. I know what's going on. I'm sure you guys have both seen both of these movies, right? That, that you guys were prepared for this way more than I was. Ben, of course, I'm guessing you've seen them before just because they are Spider-Man movies. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, definitely. I saw them in theaters. Oh, okay. Right on, right on. And, Zach, I know you saw – you've seen them and you've talked to me about these um, because I think this should lead into some context that we haven't talked about in a while. Uh, Out of the three of us, Zach suffers from Stockholm Syndrome regarding the Marvel Cinematic Universe to this day. And I think also back when these movies were coming out. Is that right? There's a major error in your statement. Uh Uh-oh, (laughs) uh-oh. We haven't talked about my Stockholm Syndrome in a while. That's like the entire – I might be the true, like, low-key thesis of this entire month is my Stockholm Syndrome with Marvel. Oh, I guess that's true, but we've been focusing more on the – I'm the Patty Hearst of Marvel. (laughs) 
Well, I, I think you're right by saying that you have Stockholm Syndrome relating to the Marvel movies, but now I don't think we've talked about specifically the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a while. Um, but you're right, you're right that the undertones have been there in the previous two episodes. So I guess I guess I gotta ask you guys, I mean, it's it's no surprise, right? I did not enjoy these movies, but I don't want to rehash those things again. I've discussed my distaste for superhero movies. I want to talk more about the MCU and my feelings on that in this episode. Of course, we'll get to Spider-Man stuff. But, you know, you guys seeing this in theaters, like um, not just this, but also the um, the Captain America Civil War first appearance of Tom Holland as Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Was this something you guys, and, and Ben especially, being the fan of Spider-Man here, were you kind of like jacked up for this when it was announced that he was going to be in the MCU? Because I remember that being huge news when that deal finally got struck. I mean, definitely. I, any chance to see Spider-Man on the big screen, I'm pretty happy with. Um, and given that like all of the MCU has that, well, and, and Rob will definitely know what I'm talking about, but like that joke structure that they have where they you know, deliver the same joke over and over again, but with different words. Yes. Um, I I definitely was hopeful that this Spider-Man would be the quippy Spider-Man that I love and not the uh, Tobey Maguire crying all the time Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also hoped that we would get, a, you know, a little bit nerdier version of Peter Parker, unlike the Andrew Garfield version. Sure. And and so to be to be honest, like I, I was hopeful that it would kind of right some of the wrongs of the past, and and to a large degree, I think it did. Okay, interesting. I'm glad you bring up the um the joke structure. I definitely want to talk about that with the the Marvel itis of these movies in general. Um, would would you say that this did though for you, Ben? I, and also, Zach, I don't know how you want to break this down. I guess I'm looking just at character, you know, not looking at any specific movie. Tom Holland as a Peter Parker, as a Spider-Man, did he right some of those wrongs? Did this work for you on, is this your Spider-Man, I guess, to answer the question we set up, you know, two weeks ago at the start of this? Short answer, no. Um, long answer, not really, but it, <laughs> I, like I said, I was part of the hype train. I can still remember, like, all the issues with the rights thing, which to this day is still kind of fascinating with, like, Sony and Disney Marvel. Um, but no, like, I was excited. I just remember seeing like in that first trailer for Civil War that came out, I want to say around the time that like Batman v Superman was released in theaters where like it ends with him like just like landing on like the roof of, at the time of a car. And he's like, hey guys. And like the eyes like squint mm-hmm. and the entire internet just like lost their collective minds. Um, I can still remember like being opening night for Civil War in the theater and then like you have like the um oh god establishing shot and says queens and the like theater erupted because again now it was something to get excited about it was like one of the few times like toward like the like mid to late 2010s where like marvel still did something that felt novel and it was like okay cool like like we've been like a god when like the avengers came out in 2012 it was so weird to have like, like a superhero movie take place especially marvel in uh, New York City and not have Spider-Man there. It, it was such a jarring thing as a comic books fan, um, or at least of that lore. So the idea of having him there, I was like, okay, cool. Like, it feels like he's being, like, integrated into this, something that's been long overdue. Sure. And then, like, when I watched uh, Homecoming, I, I can still remember, like, oh, God, that was back. I think the uh, the bloom was kind of off the, the flower, so to speak, with Marvel at that time for me. Um, like going to a Marvel movie opening night was so much fun. I think I mentioned this in like in the uh, Avengers Endgame experiment series. Um, and that was the first time where like I realized, oh, opening night crowds can be like really bad because like it was a bunch of teenagers and the entire theater reeked of pot. 
And it was like, okay, for like a 7 p.m. showing on a Thursday, I guess everyone's getting high at 6 p.m. And then like far from like by the time Far From Home came out, it was like this is after Avengers Endgame. And I didn't see it as like a Marvel fan. Like I'm a fan of Spider-Man. Like I want to see a new Spider-Man movie. Yeah. And then like all it is is just him playing like – and we'll talk about this a lot. It's just like baby Iron Man, which Tom Holland's even said in interviews. He's like, yeah, I don't really like the character of Spider-Man. Like I, I like the idea of playing like Iron Man 2.0. And I'm like, well, I, I guess you're getting what you want then for better or worse. Um, but no, I am I, – I think the last 30 minutes of Homecoming are kind of fun. It actually feels like a real Spider-Man story in the last 30 minutes. Um, but no, I, I, in all honesty, if I could flush Far From Home like down the toilet, I would. Like I uh-huh. think that – not, not that like it's a bad – like objectively bad movie. It's just like it's a bowel movement. Like I want it to pass. Um, it's, it's a natural thing and I want to uh, dispose of it. Like, like, and like in tow, and that's kind of what it is. It's uh, I, I said, I think Tom Holland's do. We'll get into this a lot more, so I don't want to jump the gun. But um, Tom Holland is fine. He, he's not Peter Parker. Um, he's a, a a 2010s version of a John Hughes character, which is which is their intent. They've said that numerous times. Oh God, the John the John Hughes and early Cameron Crow inspiration on these movies. Um, I I was near near vomiting. I think <laughs> it's it's one of the problem though, Rob, is that. The people watching these movies do not know what John Hughes and God, Cam- well, they don't even they don't even know what the word Cameron Crowe means. They think it's like a weird combination of Jimmy C and Russell Crowe. Sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Did did you see on Skype that Ben raised his hand and sent us a chat? I've never seen that before, but that just happened. So, so uh, we gotta, okay, we got to wait for Ben to come back in a little bit. But I'm glad you bring this up, Zach. And this is this is kind of how I want to you know uh, frame it for Ben as well, with him being the big fan of Spider Man. I'm glad you brought it up in the sense of you know. The first move, or the first appearance, I should say, in Civil War, and the the feeling of you know Spider Man and Peter Parker as a character just from two scenes, basically. What it's the the introduction scene where he's Peter Parker, and then it's the airport hangar battle where he's Spider Man and he's fighting against. Jesus, I watched it earlier today and I can't remember. Uh, Vulture <laughs> and and oh. Silver Arm, you know. That's Jake like, Gyllenhaal. Um. So so. I think that there's a big there was a big time lapse where people saw Peter Parker and Spider Man in Civil War and got really really excited for Homecoming and the standalone movies, which they should because I remember a lot of people after that you know Civil War came out they were saying it's like this they finally got Peter Parker and Spider Man right that type of thing and then maybe that opinion changed but but Ben if if you are back because I think I heard you making some noise um, what did what did you think from that starting point in Civil War having this new Spider Man wh- was it your Spider Man in those two scenes did you like him hate him any thoughts uh, I definitely I definitely liked the kind of quippy interactions where he was like talking to people during the fight and it's even brought up that like he's talking too much that's the best moment I think when what um, Anthony Mackie says something like. I don't know if you've been in a lot of fights before, but there's usually not this much talking. And Spider-Man's like, oh, sorry, you know? That's like the, the moment of the, of the Civil War appearance that really works for me in terms of Spider-Man because of that quippiness. Yeah, um, and, and I, I definitely was into it. I, you know, I, was, I was there for it as a Spider-Man fan, seeing him just kind of being a goofy teenage kid uh, in, in this environment where he's suddenly around a, a much more serious group of people yes. than he's had to deal with in the past. Um, and so I, I definitely, definitely did enjoy that. And, and I think that that continues pretty well in, into Homecoming and Far From Home as well, that he's still this kind of just like quippy kid who's who's not really like he's not like shit talking or mean, but he mm-hmm. but he is 
he's he's definitely like, like he just talks while he's fighting people and and you know I, i've always kind of enjoyed that about spider-man and yeah yeah i think they portrayed it very well in these movies yeah this spider-man isn't like you said isn't mean this spider-man is almost um and that might be the, the the thing to say is that these movies are filled with or Spider-Man's instances, of course, the two Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home, um, Civil War to a lesser extent. But he he's very much of like a childlike innocence type of thing, like mm-hmm. as Peter Parker, you know, an Iron Man sits him down and says, he's like, why do you do this? Like, why do you get out of bed in the morning and be Spider-Man type of thing? And it gets really emotional and that type of thing. And it's very, very not naive, I think very innocent or very pure view of the world, which is kind of what we want from Spider-Man. I think when we get to Homecoming. That's when they crank that up to 11. Like Zach mentioned, you know, the the thesis of these movies is make it like a John Hughes movie. Make it like an early Cameron Crowe movie. It's about the the relationships. Like, I I read some quote where, you know, even uh, Tom Holland was like, I want to be like a high schooler first and Spider-Man second and that type of stuff. And none of that worked in these movies for me. In the first one, all the high school stuff, I was like, oh, no, I can't stand this. This is... I, I took it as this is clearly for a generation that is much younger than me. Like, I, I could not latch on to it. And then the second movie, Far From Home, the first 30 minutes of their travel montage, basically, it plays like Sabrina Goes to Rome or the Lizzie McGuire movie. It's so ridiculous. So so I, I guess that the, the Spider-Man stuff, I'm totally with you, Ben. I kind of dig Tom Holland as Spider-Man now, especially, you know, in the action scenes. They do a lot of cool, you know, action stuff in the in the fights, which I'm sure we'll get to. But his Peter Parker is so whiny, he's so childlike, and I guess that brings me to something I've said many times in this podcast, and I want to talk about Tom Holland. I had no idea who Tom Holland was before he played Spider-Man, and prior to this recording, I had only seen him appear in Civil War, and I think him being so melancholy and so wispy with his voice, he honestly, he sounds like Michael Cera in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in, in that scene in Civil War. He comes across to me as, like, a child. Like, I know he's supposed to be playing 15, um, or maybe even 14 or 15 in Civil War. I don't know my MCU timeline that well. But he comes across to me like he's eight. Like, I do not take Tom Holland seriously as an adult actor. Like, I see him as a small child who is out of place. And I think it's because I saw that first scene in Civil War. After watching Homecoming, that wore off a little bit. And actually, in Far From Home... I saw him more as a full-fledged type of, you know, action and adult actor, of course. And yeah, he's growing up and things like that, I know it, but they played him a lot more grown up or mature, I think, in Far From Home, which I, which I appreciated. But what, what do you guys think of? We've talked about, you know, Peter Parker now, both in Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Just in the Peter Parker aspect, how does this one rank up? And Ben, I wanted to ask you specifically, what do you think of his nerdiness in these movies? Because that was something we talked a lot about. His nerdiness and his intelligence has never really landed in the last two franchise or the last two series of spider-man his nerdiness definitely comes across a little more he's he's definitely more of like an outcast in this he has his one friend ned and then otherwise people are like ragging on him and shit especially flash thompson which is uh even though flash thompson's character is very much not who flash thompson has is canonically yes um at least that character is still picking on peter parker so nerdiness wise i think he comes across and i do want to say that maybe it's giving them too much credit to say it was intentional but it wouldn't make it would make sense for his character to change so drastically across these movies because like in the first instance in civil war he's never done anything outside of his neighborhood yeah in uh homecoming he's he's fresh off a civil war so he's learned a little bit you know Mm -hmm. but then in in far from home he's he's fresh off of the end game 
uh, or yes. Infinity War because he wasn't in in game. But so he's yeah, like seen some yeah. shit. Yeah, that's that's point. right. I figured we get here. Uh, the the one the one thing he does in Endgame is fall down, and all the female characters take the gaunt. It's the gaunt, whatever they have to take from him. That that is what Spider Man sets up is the all female scene in Endgame. I think that's pretty much it, right? <laughs> well, he's he's uh, snapped out right for for most of that yeah, movie. Yeah, he does the uh, Mr. Yeah. Stark. I don't feel too good in Infinity War. I'm pretty sure. So he only comes right. back for the end in Endgame, and it really is just to well, he has that moment where we hugs uh, Robert Downey Jr. Which, which I have to say, albeit unnecessary, I now have a lot more context for the relationship between uh, Peter Parker and, and Tony Stark in these movies now that I've seen Homecoming. But, I, you know, like I said, I got enough from it. But, yeah, then he doesn't really have much to do in Endgame. But you're right, Ben. That's a good point that I think, what, there's six movies between Homecoming and Far From Home in the uh, M- Marvel Cinematic Universe. So he's definitely went through a lot. And, of course, seeing what he goes through in Endgame – I, I agree with you that they do it to great effect that he is more mature. He's still uncertain, but he's not as whiny and childish in Far From Home, which I greatly appreciated. And they may have overdone his whininess and childishness so that they could have that growth. Sure. But the growth does make sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you there. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Zach, what do you think about the Peter Parker? You like? Well, I think you said before, as Peter Parker, he's fine. Is that right? Yeah, like I said, I, at this point, I guess I've made a big point throughout this entire series. I do not think there will ever be a definitive Peter Parker across any mm. media of Spider-Man. It, just every single one is just so different. It's, it's its own interpretation of it, so I don't know. Um, that's why I have a hard time really criticizing certain aspects of the Tom Holland movies because, like, I know, like, like Homecoming is fine. I think, like I said, The Last 30 Minutes is a great Spider-Man-like tale. I can I think Far From Home is not a Spider-Man movie. I because again, like Spider-Man is a product of New York City. He doesn't leave the city unless it is an Avengers level threat where he's recruited. And then he's kind of a minor character. And then like it's like all he does in Far From Home is that he's like outside of what the last five minutes. He's not in he's not in New York City at all, really. And that's the thing, is that like in, in Tony Stark, Jesus, like I get it. And I don't blame the writers, I blame the studio because they just they just want to shove that character because it, Robert Downey Jr. equals dollar signs. Yep. Um, but like Robert Downey Jr. pretty much is a bigger character in the second film than he is in the first one. He doesn't even appear in it. <laughs> sure. And, and, it's, and it's like like again, the probably the best part of the second movie is zombie Iron Man. Because everyone in the theater is being like, this is a neat thing. Like, like he's dead and we're having like his like corpse come out of the ground. Like, I don't care if it's a quasi like illusion. Like, this is at least something neat. It's different. I haven't seen it before. I have to say that that was a pretty neat moment. The uh, the whole Mysterio illusion thing and you get the decayed skeleton Iron Man. I'm like, that is pretty cool, actually. <laughs> I love that whole sequence in the second movie. But this is the thing, though, is that it's... Far From Home is a bunch of, like, sequences that, like, on their own, like, in a vacuum are fine, but just as an overall, like, Spider-Man tale, it it doesn't work for me at okay. all. And that's, like you said, like, it, like okay, like, we have the, uh, like, like, God, Sabrina goes to Rome, mm-hmm. and we have all this where it's like, oh, it's a giant, like, water monster, and Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio is fighting him. And it's like, well, if it's all an illusion, then how is anybody wet? Like, it's an illusion. Like, how um, is... Okay, well, it's not, it's not an illusion. The water monster is an illusion, but the, the drones, like, we see even later some drones underwater pushing, pushing the water around and shit. Oh, f- 
fine. And they they but, are tech they are technically in Venice, even though at one point JB Smooth says they're in Rome. Uh, there are no <laughs> there are no canals in Rome, at least the last time I've looked into it. But there is actual water there under the illusion. So I can I'm with you, Ben. There there's ways to make people wet, I guess. <laughs> but it's the idea that like if this is all an illusion, like of like a famous landmark. What happens the next day? The drone's just permanently there going forward. And then it's like there's things like that. I'm just nitpicking. I can see that. But it's just like like, especially with like a famous landmark, which is what both Homecoming and Far From Home are just obsessed with. Yes. They're obsessed with landmarks. What do you mean are the drones still there? Well, okay. The whole point is they destroy Venice. Like isn't that the point that the the water eternal like destroys Venice? Yeah, knocks over some so, building. The clock tower thing happens, you know. So, that type of stuff. in order to sustain the illusion, that means that there had to be drones permanently there. Oh, the destruction's, I, not, the destruction's yeah. not an illusion. Yeah, because we the get drones this... are weaponized, and we actually see a scene where they up the uh, intensity of the weapons, and they just like they shoot and destroy pillars. That's the but one I was going to mention, Ben. Yeah, but aren't those the ones that tone? Aren't those the Stark Industries ones? They in that scene that Ben just referenced, yes, they are. But we have notion that he has weaponized drones earlier in the prog scene because Spider-Man webs one while it's invisible. So we oh. know that he has he has drones prior to getting the magic sunglasses. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, he definitely has drones, and and there's no reason to believe they're not weaponized. Um, and and I think so. It's it's not entirely clear what his drones were like. It, he very well could be working with the same drones that Stark set up the Edith system with. Sure. And there's just more of them in the Edith system. Because he did work for Stark and create a lot of – well, he created the hologram technology. Well, can so, we talk about the awkward just like like shoving – like shooing of just like putting things like, oh, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal was there like in the background. The light just wasn't on. Oh, my god. That that might have been one of my favorite parts of the, of the movie when we get the thing – I forget if it's an Iron Man movie or a – Avengers movie, whatever they flash back to, to reveal that you know Jake Gyllenhaal, Mysterio was the one who created this um, this barf. illusion technology. Yeah, the barf technology, which I never would remember they called it. They do that snap zoom to Jake Gyllenhaal's face in the shadows in the background at like the Stark Enterprise show, and I thought that was so funny because <laughs> you're right, Zach. They're just like, ha! You never noticed this before because it was never there. <laughs> But then even though they have the shot too of like the guy who Jeff Bridges yells at in the first film. Yes, and it's like these yes. are all these are all the people that have been treated badly by like Tony Stark. Like that guy didn't even interact with Tony Stark. He got just yelled like, at. The, yeah, by um, what's his name? Yeah, from that Jeff movie. Bridges. Yeah, and it's like like okay, so we're just bringing like that's fine. Like, I'm glad the actor got a paycheck. Like good for him. But it's like, like I'm supposed to care. It's like oh yeah, well, and again it goes back to the fact of like every single one of these. Spider-Man movies is just like the sins of Tony Stark somehow fall upon Peter Parker's shoulders. And, well, and, Peter Parker essentially becomes Tony's son, but he's a well, superhero son. Which is which is fine, except for like the entire point of Endgame from Tony Stark's things, he has a daughter, and that's because because Peter Parker disappeared and he needed a new child. Which which so is fine. Which is fine, but like, remember, Far From Home is after Endgame. So we went through this entire thing with Tony Stark. The whole reason why that they had to bring everybody back, like, after the fact, not that they could go back and, like, time and reverse it, from what I remember of Endgame, was like, okay, like, I don't want anything to change in the last five years. 
So like, I, like I said, the, the whole daughter thing feels like, in, in Endgame still feels like an afterthought. Because again, I remember we talked about this years ago that they had the thirteen like reasons why girl like be his like daughter grown up, oh, and yeah. they cut that. They cut that. Out, they filmed it and they cut it out because they're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, <laughs> isn't is that entire? Isn't that Tony Stark's entire like impetus for Endgame? But yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, you guys bring up good story points, but we can't gloss over the fact that the guy who plays that, you know, disenfranchised scientist in the original Iron Man and then now in Spider-Man Far From Home, that's Peter Billingsley. That's Ralphie, the main character from A Christmas Story. That's insane. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, yeah, it actually is. How about that? And he's in both. He's he's actually the guy playing the same character in both movies. Yeah, that's a, that's a very old Peter Billingsley. Not very old, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Older than what everybody knows what he looks like. <laughs> I have to say, though... um, this is something that I'm actually glad to bring up because I feel like I haven't gotten to do this in the previous ones. Um, from my knowledge of Spider-Man, uh, getting to what you guys are just talking about, I've always loved Mysterio. Like the Mysterio was always kind of my villain in the little Spider-Man that I um, was, you know, opened up to back in the comic book shops. You know, I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff. I love that it was like um, I, I think his original origin story is he's just like a, a visual effects guy from a movie studio that was wronged, and he just wants to, you know, use illusions and, and smoke and mirrors to, you know, commit crimes. Like, I think I played some video game with Spider-Man once where he's just, like, Mysterio's trying to rob an art gallery or something like that. You know, very basic s crimes, and he's using illusions. So I kind of really liked seeing Mysterio in this second movie, finally getting to see, you know, a villain that I know something about and latch onto on the big screen. I do have to say, though, that this moment that it's revealed that, you know, he's he's an ex-disgruntled uh, Stark Enterprises employee, and that's what his whole crew is and that type of stuff. When that reveal happens, after he gets the magic sunglasses from Peter Parker, and they're in that bar or whatever, and the illusion, like, slowly starts to dissipate, and he's like, someone get this stupid thing off me, but we, we're halfway there, you know, that type of thing. I'm like, oh, that's cool, that's a neat reversal, which I saw coming, because it's Mysterio, and, you know, there's still an hour left in the movie. But then the movie grinds to a halt so he can give us everybody's backstory that's important to his crew. And that drove me crazy that that goes on for like seven minutes of explanation to all these people who would know why they're doing this, right? It's like that doctor thing we've talked about, Ben. Like, why, why are these yeah. characters speaking right now? They're all aware of what's going on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, de I definitely agree. Like, that scene is just exposition for the audience, yes. and exposition for the audience always feels weird. But you know it's 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 how they run things like it's 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 just a, th a thing that they use in movies to give information is it the best thing mm -hmm. no did they have time for for better things maybe should they have wasted screen time on those people beyond exposition probably not sure sure i hear you you know you know another thing before i go all in on what i hated about this movie i don't want to go too hard on this cuz everybody knows i dislike these movies some of the positives I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but the first time I watched these, like, you know, I, I just just actually watching them, I was so kind of bummed that in both movies, Peter Parker slash Spider-Man gets high-tech shit. Like, he gets the new suit in the first movie, there's the whole stuff about him taking off the training wheels, he doesn't know how to work it, and it's like, there's all this tech, you know? And then in the second movie, he gets the magic sunglasses, there's more tech. And while I'm watching them, I'm like, oh god, I'm like... Can't they just give me Spider-Man? Like, why does he need all this tech from Tony Stark? Like, I know that's where the MCU's at, and Tony Stark, you know, invents time travel in, in one evening in Avengers Endgame, which is the most annoying thing to me. But I'm like, tech. It's all tech. But after I was 
after I finished watching the movies and I was actually, you know, kind of formulating my thoughts on them, I kind of appreciate this more. And this might just seem like, you know, crazy for me to be saying, but I, I thought of this. Spider-Man in these movies, they inherently give him a lot of tech, not only because that the MCU is so tech-heavy with everything Tony Stark and, you know, the Hulk and all the scientists and smart minds do, not only because of that, but because this is the only Spider-Man franchise we've seen, of course, of the three we were discussing this month, where all of the villains are solely based on tech. Like, I kind of love the fact that we have to give Spider-Man some tech because Michael Keaton is just a regular dude who has alien technology. Jake Gyllenhaal is a regular dude who has really advanced technology. So I kind of like, or I kind of rationalize to myself, oh, they have to give Spider-Man tech to go up against tech. Like, in, in the other movies, you know, I'm thinking Doc Ock, that was a, a big science experiment got wrong, gave him his powers, even though he kind of gave himself his powers with the AI and stuff. But the original Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, that's an experiment gone wrong. Sandman, Lizard, you know, of course, Rhino was not an experiment got wrong, but he doesn't count, as we talked about last week. <laughs> um, and then also even, uh, what, James Franco, as I think the Hobgoblin we called him, there's not really a science experiment gone wrong there. It's more that he hits his head and remembers things, you know? So I'm not saying that this is the first time we have supervillains that are willingly supervillains, but I like that there's no villain in both of these movies that also has inherent powers. They are just people making choices to do villainous things. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't... So from the direct directorial standpoint, maybe that makes sense. Um, I will say that Spider-Man never needed tech to fight these people in the comics or, or in the 90s cartoons. Sure, sure. He never needed tech he didn't create. Because Spider-Man does have tech. It's yeah. just way low tech compared to Tony Stark. But he makes trackers and he makes um, taser webs at some point. And, he, you know, he he does have these things, but, the, but he gets them way further spread out. And so I kind of thought of it more as them just jump-starting Spider-Man so they didn't uh-huh. have to go through the process of, like, why does he have this tech? Okay. You know, like I, I, I felt like they just wanted to skip all that and get straight to Spider-Man that has tech, and in in doing so, they definitely gave him more tech than he would have had otherwise. But that only makes sense if you're if the tech is coming from uh, Iron Man. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just thought that was a, a an interesting like. We've talked about it last week, and I think it is going to happen, you know, if we ever get more, uh, a different Spider-Man, you know, the fourth iteration of Spider-Man. I think they totally have a laundry list of things that the earlier movies have did, and they cross out those, and they try and make the best thing from it. Um, And in this case, this being the MCU movie, they can cross out as much shit as they want and fill it in with stuff that is related to Tony Stark, to the Avengers, to the events of other movies. So they didn't really have that tough of a job coming up with new stuff. And I'm with you, Ben, that just giving him the tech and jump-starting those ideas and using it to grow the character, even if I don't think that's executed well, like the learning scenes with Peter Parker or Spider-Man with his new tech, they're also... That's a that's a fine story decision, even if, if it doesn't land for me, that type of thing. I do have to say, though, when he's trying to learn his suit in the first movie and it's revealed that it's only been 37 minutes, that's a fairly chuckle-worthy moment, I think. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I thought that that was kind of funny. Yeah, I just, I, I really want to tell her, but it's kind of weird, you know? Hey, I'm, I'm Spider-Man. What's weird about that? What if she's expecting someone like Tony Stark? I mean, imagine how disappointed she'd be when she sees me. Well, if I were her, I wouldn't be disappointed at all. Thanks, Karen. It's really nice to have somebody to talk to. Hey, how long we been here anyways? 37 minutes. What? 
37 minutes, that's insane! I don't know, Zach, any thoughts on the text or the villains? I guess let's talk about the villains, you know, and let's transition to that. I mean, Michael Keaton and Jake Gyllenhaal, great actors. My favorite parts of these movies, like every time Michael Keaton had a scene in Homecoming, I was so refreshed. Jake Gyllenhaal screaming like a like a diva director when he's trying to work out all the um the illusion stuff. I thought that was so much fun. These are some good villains. I latched onto them as I always do in these superhero movies. I, I'm sure that you appreciate that Michael Keaton is playing a Birdman. Oh well, yes, that... <laughs> Ben. Uh, and if I didn't realize that, I could have looked at the 15 plus IMDb trivia facts that say that. But, but yeah, of course, he's playing Birdman. Um, I have to say, the first reveal of the Vulture in Homecoming. I think, you know, when uh, it's we, we haven't seen Michael Keaton like in his suit, full vulture suit or anything. The first time we see him is when he like swoops into the air and catches Spider-Man or something. It really comes out of nowhere. And I thought it was a great moment. And he looks horrifying, like just the green eyes, the very, you know, just blacked out face type of stuff. Oh, Michael Keaton was fantastic in this movie. <laughs> well, and that's something I never cared for Vulture as, an, as a villain in the 90s series mm -hmm. or really in any of the Spider-Man content I've ever seen. Vulture was never somebody I was very intrigued by the notion that he is a down on his luck construction worker or or construction company owner yeah that has to steal technology to survive after that government contract thing ruins his life like that made him so much more compelling oh yeah yeah he was like a regular guy type of thing <laughs> oh yeah and, and i definitely like given that i never cared for vulture the fact that I that I like him that much in that movie was was kind of surprising to me. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I know, so speaking of Vulture, even though, like I said, I'd never seen this movie before, I knew that Michael Keaton played the Vulture as the villain. Um, I knew that, I think because of you, Zach, or just cultural osmosis, I knew that the opening of, of the movie, or really his origin story as the villain, is that, you know, he's trying to, you know, he gets a government or city contract to clean up the mess at the end of the first Avengers movie, but then, you know, Stark Enterprises comes in and takes it over from him, something like that. I knew all these beats about Michael Keaton in, in this movie, so it wasn't like, you know, I was going to be surprised by any, any of this stuff watching Homecoming for the first time. You know what nobody ever told me that was actually a surprise kind of like what the fuck moment? I did not know that Michael Keaton was going to be the father of the love interest. Like when he opens the door on Homecoming night or prom night or whatever it is, I was actually like, oh, holy shit, I didn't see that coming. Nobody had spoiled that for me, which, I, which very rarely happens these days. But I thought that was a nice little twist. Of course, they're kind of just rehashing the... um you know, Willem Dafoe stuff from the first Raimi movie, you know, Willem Dafoe figuring out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. But this one, it just kind of dropped on me out of nowhere, and, and that was pretty shocking to me. I don't know, I got a, a good movie moment from an MCU movie. I don't think there's there's many of those in my life. <laughs> well, and they had the um, the element of surprise going for them since since they were not the same color. Yes, well, of it's course, like, yes. <laughs> it's like, there's, there's just no, like, you're not, you know, obviously mixed race people exist, etc., but you're, you're not even thinking about who her parents might be mm -hmm. or anything like that because there's no similarity between her and Keaton. Um, and I don't think they ever tell us that her name is Toombs. If yeah, it even is. There was that's, nothing that's there that made name. me think they were connected at all until that moment, of course. Yeah, I, um, I definitely was also caught off guard by that the first time I watched this. Of course, rewatching it for this, I, I knew that. <laughs> sure, but. sure. Yeah, I don't know. Zach, maybe you know better than us. Was that hidden from the marketing like was that in a trailer or anything like did you no, they, they yeah. kept that hidden okay. i i i guess i remember sitting through homecoming in the theater and just kind of being like i don't like liz isn't a character 
She's mm-hmm. just love interest. She's just on a pedestal because the script has written her that way. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah. like, oh, he's going like, oh, like it's his very first date. He's taking her to the dance. And it's like, or, or I'm sorry, it's a homecoming. And it's like, okay, like, like I don't care because I don't care because we haven't been given a reason. There isn't that thing of him like pine, like the pining over the love interest, mm-hmm. Liz in the first film, is like non existent. So I'm, in the sense of like, there's no real connection there. Like, say what you will. I know they, a lot of people compl- They do have that scene where they're just like, have we seen her in that top? And they're like staring at her. I think that is the extent of the pining. <laughs> exactly. 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 So it's, it exists. It's just. It's creepy and wafer, wafer thin, wafer yeah, thin. Sure. Yeah. And so, like, I yeah, it's a good, it's a reveal. Um, it is a reveal. I can't argue with that. Like in an objective sense, um, there's just no stakes to it because it's like, like Liz isn't really a character, and it feels like it's again, it's clever because like, okay, we didn't expect it. It's kind of like seeing a sign that says like, like kind of points you in the direction of right, and you just go left, and it's like, okay, like nothing said I couldn't go left, so. Why not? Um, no, I, like I said, no, I, I, I didn't think it was a great reveal. Um, I think I said everything after that's a lot of fun, like the car ride. And he's like, go on in, honey. Like, I got to give Peter the old uh, dad a boyfriend talk. Oh, and then, yeah. Like, like I said, anything great. with Michael Keaton is so much fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. And that's – no, Michael Keaton is like easily like my favorite part of Homecoming because, A, it's nice to see an MCU villain that's not just like the evil doppelganger of the protagonist. Yeah, like, like that yes. makes him like top tier just for that reason alone. And plus, like he's not mustache twirling. Like every MCU villain is is mustache twirling, and I'm just like, wow. Like he's just like again, he he's an honest working man <laughs> who like he didn't really do. I guess is he committing crimes? Yes, but like oh, like I think he, there's even a line of dialogue very early on where he's like, oh, Tony Stark creates this mess, and he's getting paid to clean it up. Yeah. And I'm like, that's great. I'm like, and that's the thing that's like, I'm kind of frustrated about these movies that like they have such potential. I'm like, wouldn't that be great if you have a moment in either the first, or the second film where like Peter has to reflect on the fact like, oh, I idolize this guy and all he did was cause harm. And he, even though he like stopped making weapons, he caused collateral damage and profit profited off that. Mm-hmm. And like, wouldn't that be great where he has to come to this realization of like separating the man from the legend, much like we've talked about numerous times on cinematis, like separating the art from the artist. Like, wouldn't that be a great like idea that's never been really been explored in contemporary comic book films? And it's like, no, we've got to fight Mysterio because he has magic sunglasses. I gave him by accident. And I'm like, Oh, movie! Like you, you, you had potential to do something clever, and then it just comes down to like just like a blue laser in the sky, and like we got like punch Mysterio in the face. I think I completely agree that both of these movies set up some fantastic ideas, which the MCU has done before. I know I've said it well before we started this podcast, Zach, but there's that moment at the beginning of Iron Man 3 where some little kid, like, asks Tony how he escaped the wormhole at the end of the Avengers, and he has, like, a panic attack. And I'm like, that's so cool! I hope the movie's about that, and it's not. It's not at all. I feel like... Ten minutes of helicopters blowing up his mansion. Exactly. And these movies kind of fall into the same thing. I think Far From Home sets it up better. I loved the idea where they're like, 
what happened with Thanos? Some people are five years older, some people aren't, you know? Like, what's that going to do to society or the school systems or anything like that? I'm like, that's a really, really neat idea. I, I want, I know, like, it's funny, because Zenger and I, like, discussed this movie when it first came out two years ago. And I want to ask Rob this question. This is a great Rob question. I imagine then you'll appreciate it as well. If you have, like, like okay, half the human population is just, like, wiped off the face of the earth, then five years later, again, I don't know what, like, models would look like, the idea of, like, the human race trying to, like, propagate again. Then you have that 50% as of five years ago of, like, come back. Wouldn't there be, like, mass famines and stuff? Like, there'd be no way to support that because in five years, much like we, like, real life, the supply chain would, like, slow down, contract and then all of a sudden you have this like explosion in population yeah. growth yeah. again. Like, wouldn't you like, like these people would all die? Like, I would say uh, what, at least twenty percent of the people who were uh, snapped back. Or, ben, by all means, enlighten me if I'm looking at this under the wrong lens. And also, Ben, whatever logical uh, answer you are about <laughs> to give, and and that I will probably agree with, just know that they are going to give us the most illogical answer whenever the oh no the Eternals came out already so whatever they say in the Eternals is going to be the stupid answer Ben you're about to going to give us the better answer <laughs> I I appreciate that that's very kind of you uh, especially because most of these come off the top of my head as I'm hearing you talk about it uh, but they did have the power to create anything with the gauntlet there's no reason to believe that they stopped at bringing people back. They could have also brought the supply chains back. <laughs> oh, oh God! I could totally. Oh my! How cool would that have been in Endgame? You know that scene where the Hulk puts the um puts the gauntlet on, and what some character says to him, he's like, "Remember, just wish to bring all those people back." And Hulk was like, "We're not stopping there. We're gonna reset, you know, the industry of the world with this snap as well." You have to make sure China has enough shipping containers. Damn it! Yes, That's, yes. yes, exactly. So. <laughs> And it was it is Tony Stark eventually that does the snap right, and Tony is definitely a a, a forward thinker. So Tony, Tony stops Thanos. His entire thing is just like Hulk is the true hero of Endgame because he's the one who brings everybody back into existence, right? Well, and we, it's Tony I, who just wipes out Thanos. I know that's that's the the surface level of Endgame, but I think what Ben is saying is that since we don't have this mechanism of you have oh. to state your wish before you snap that it, it works like Ghostbusters. Like I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, if Tony was like, you know, I want to take out Thanos and, you know, make sure my company is running all of the agriculture to bring all the, the world back up to working right. order. It could totally happen that way. It's like a, yeah, like goes like the state puff marshmallow man should have popped up at the end of end game, you know, and Tony Stark would have been like, man, I had marshmallows on the brain. Got to fight that real quick. <laughs> or um. in adventure time, I know we, uh, Jake, has a wishing gun at a certain point and he makes a sandwich because like couldn't stop thinking about that sandwich <laughs> yeah I, I i'm not going to say that that they necessarily use that reasoning or that they even thought about it but it totally could happen the gauntlet is an answer to that question despite yes. the fact that it is a very okay. good question i got okay i have to keep i have to okay then i'm not sure how much I, we've delved into this you and i but rob knows like i love movies with like internal logic um, it's the It Follows Dilemma, The Purge Dilemma. There's a couple other ones in there. Like, these movies have these rules, and I love dissecting them. We see in Far From Home, like, someone's like, uh, it's like, what, uh, a marching band recital or something? And we see, like, half the people just, like, like disappear, and then, like, they appear oh, back, yeah. like, five years later during a basketball game. Yeah. yeah what happens if you were flying? What happens if you were flying on a plane and you just magically reappeared? Oh, whole oh you fall you fall to the ground. Okay. You fall yes. like 40,000 yes. feet to your death? 
That is yeah, the, definitely. The abso- well, that, that's the absolute thing. And also, I mean, it's a, one of the common, what, time traveler jokes is that if they don't take into account um, the motion of planets in, in space, they end up in space, that type of thing. Yeah. You, yeah. you want to know what the real answer is that I actually found in my research for this? Kevin Feige has gone on record saying that when Hulk brought all those people back with the second snap, he made sure they were in safe positions. Oh, he made sure they were in safe positions? Okay. Yes, um, yes. So if he made sure they were in safe positions, he probably also made sure they had food. Guess, yeah, I think that's exactly what I'm saying, yeah. There's a lot of yeah, so, behind-the-scenes implicit stuff that they swept under the rug in Endgame, absolutely. Sure. So, so you're telling me when they're not saying that uh, Back to the Future is nonsense and Die Hard's a time travel movie, <laughs> there was uh, there were certain meetings like in the corner that we didn't get to see. Yeah, yeah, seems like it. <laughs> Like, none of this I, matters, but it's fun because, like, I think we talked about it in Avengers Endgame. It's like, none of this matters. Like, I can see that. But, like, you can't crap on, like, other movies and then just do your own weird, like, plot device. Like, it's so, just like, just keep your powder dry. Just be like, yeah, like Back to the Future, but different. So you, you bring up the, the airplane thing. I mean, uh, an extension of that or, or kind of along the same lines. It's like people in elevators – um <laughs> sure <laughs> you know like the elevator if the elevator is not on the same floor or, or in the same position and then they come back um i i prefer to believe that it's like uh the war of tomorrow or whatever the fuck that amazon movie is called where they just like got blipped into the sky and, oh, and fell yeah. to the city and a that. bunch of them died i yeah. I, I mean i personally love that scene and i would have loved to have seen that in in a marvel movie uh but i guess we'll accept Feige's response. Yeah, that, you know, it was just made sure they were all safe, that type of thing. I'm, I'm glad we're on this topic, though, of what happened in the, um, in the blip. I had ne- I never knew that any MCU movie called it the blip. I had never heard that, even through, like, cultural osmosis, but I guess that's what we're calling it. There is a moment, it's so, so small, but it's probably the thing that interested in, interested in me most in all, bo- in all two, you know, two and a half of these movies watching the uh, Spider-Man segments of Civil War. Martin Starr is the teacher as at a certain point says that he thought his wife was snapped into out of existence, but it turns out that yeah they had a real funeral for her. Turns out she ran away with someone, a man from her hiking group. When this was stated, I was like, can I just see a whole movie about that? Because that sounds fucking awesome. Like, what do you think about a non-superhero movie set in the time period that Thanos snapped people away? Like, the common man just being like, well, how do I deal with this? And it's like this this thriller about the wife just going to cheat on him or something, you know? <laughs> I, I thought that I was wild. I am totally down for that. Yeah. For, like, movies that take place during the blip. Because there had to be some amount of chaos. It was like, well, most of the police in this city are gone. Yes, You know, yes. like... So like that that would have been very interesting because it was not based on any criteria. So like you're going to have some cities where criminals outnumber police a- afterward or, or you know purge like scenarios going on for some. Wasn't that wasn't isn't that Hawkeye's entire story that like like he just goes to kind of murder spree like killing cr- criminals? I, like, I believe that is yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. The the Ronin thing. He's. <laughs> Yeah, he's um, like a samurai without a master, and he just murders a bunch of people. Um, I don't know if it's if it's MCU canon, but it is definitely something that happened in in the uh, Marvel universe. 
doesn't I think Martin Starr says something like he's like you know my wife pretended to be snapped away but she really ran away with a guy from her hiking group and we had a funeral we even had a funeral for her and they were like no, he said he said we had a fake funeral for her well it was a real funeral yes yeah that's what yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that line when he's like well it was a real funeral that got me I was like that's really fucking weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. did I tell you how my wife pretended to blip out turns out she ran off with a guy in her hiking group. We had a fake funeral for her and everything. Well, the funeral was real. Because I thought she was really dead. Do you want to see the video? That was so interesting to me, that line. And I was just like, yeah, give me more of that. Like, how are these, like, you know, completely ancillary characters dealing with the fact? And I know they did that a little bit in Endgame. Wasn't, like, Captain America, he, like, is doing, like, a support group for people that lost loved ones in the snap yeah. or something? yeah. But I go harder on that stuff. These are great ideas. Like even the whole thing at the start of Far From Home when the um the kids on the TV are expositing about how where they're like, well, we had to restart the school year because all these kids came back. And one kid's like, it was a fucking joke. Like, I, I don't want to take these tests again. And I'm like, that's not just a funny line. There's ideas there. That's what I really care about. But then instead it becomes, you know, Spider-Man has to punch somebody, as they always do, of course. That's that's what you're signing up for when you watch Spider-Man. Exactly. And that's that's the that's the bummer of all these movies for me, I think, is I want more of the interesting stuff. I don't want this story over and over. Like we were saying, I think this one hits me the worst with the teenage stuff because it's so, you know, coming of age, John Hughes and Cameron Crowe type of movies. But I, I guess that, that brings me to something else I want to talk about. The notion... In that in both of these movies that we are so greatly tied to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think that, you know, this... They gotta call them Spider-Man movies, right? I, I guess my question becomes is they had to call it Captain America Civil War. They couldn't call it the Avengers Civil War because, what, an Avengers movie had just come out or something like that. Like, I don't really see these as Spider-Man movies as much as I see them as cogs in the wheel of the MCU. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, they are they are primarily focused on Spider-Man doing, you know, there, there's a Spider-Man story sure, there. Sure, And, like, in particular, like, there's also Spider-Man villains, like Mysterio and, and Vulture. Like, those are Spider-Man villains uh, canonically. So, I, I mean, to some degree, I, I think it fits as much as naming any of them after after the heroes fits. Mm -hmm. uh, it just so happens that, like, Nick Fury plays a bigger role in this than he did in, like, the the first Thor movie or something. Yes, but, yes. Um, but I, I don't think that that is, like, presents a problem for me as, as an audience member. It's like, I, I've... I'm getting enough Spider-Man that it, that it feels like Spider-Man should be the t titular character. Okay, and gotcha. he And he... I mean, it is about him and his learning how to cope with being in the in the broader universe so in that sense yeah why not okay okay no i i know what you mean and yeah you're right there of course we're following spider-man spider-man villains that type of stuff i just I, it feels like you know at this point i think what the 16th and the 23rd or 22nd movies in the mcu or something like that that they almost have to be cogs just to keep the story moving along. I guess maybe well, I far mean, from home a little less because it's the aftermath of the big conclusion. Like, let's just start calling them MC28, you know, like MCU28. That's, yeah, that, yeah. That That's a good point you bring up. And I think that, you know, I think, Zach, we've talked about it before. There's a, a conscious decision on the part of Disney and Marvel to no longer put numbers in their movies type of thing. But that, that's what they are. They have to be seen. Like, there's no way that you can go and jumble these and watch them on a first thing and understand what's happening, you know? Well, that's... But this is the thing, though, is that, like, we're getting to a point, like, where obviously we're no way home is trending. Mm -hmm. Is that, like, all of this now is continuity. All yes. of it is continuity. Like, it's no longer just, like, okay, like, the Marvel thing. Like, if you were there in 2008... 
Like, you know everything. Now it's like, nope, you gotta watch all the Sony movies. Now you gotta watch all the Fox movies. Now I, you gotta watch, and, and that's where like it's like okay, like that that the beautiful simplicity of just like okay, like you begin in two thousand eight and just draw a line through the years until current year here. Well, so I I definitely understand where you're coming from with that, but I but I personally like my I, I don't know guess or estimation as to what's going to happen is that all of this stuff will be referenced and used in this one movie and maybe in the sequel to this movie, but that in the end this stuff is not going to stay in the universe. Well, but 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 it's the idea that like there is that cultural baggage. Maybe that's that's I I don't know how to describe it. Is it like by I I get it. It's intentional, but it's the idea that they they are deliberately now wanting to fold that twenty. They they again Marvel's big thing is that like whereas with DC DC never split itself apart. Marvel had to in the 90s, which is like ancient history at this point. Um, and they want everything to kind of just be lumped in together, even if it's kind of just like, again, it's it's the uh, red string on the cork board. But like, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I guess I, even forgetting about what they're going to do with Spider-Man, like going forward, like it's just getting more and more intricate in a way that like, oh, God, Rob, like how many rings are there in Shang-Chi? Um, Between like, 9 like, and 11. I know that. <laughs> and it's like, oh, but then you have uh, Trevor Slattery in Iron Man 3, and you have Guy Pierce, and then you have like all these things that are just kind of like offshoots. Um, it's like, I think, like with anything, like it's kind of like it's the house of cards. The higher you go, the more just like, okay, like it's all it, like the breeze gets less and less that'll take to kind of just knock it over. And again, the current event state like the eternals is that weird like just like fever pitch of it all which i don't think is the case i think it's just it worst a bump in the road because it'll make money it'll sell a bunch on like streaming and home video um but like yeah i, I just think the more and more they go with this it's gonna get a little more just like it's like anything in life the the more you grow something the more just strands they're gonna have to be pruned after a while it's like a plant almost it can be healthy, but there's going to be some branches that need to be a little bit more nurtured than others. I think I agree with what both of you guys were just saying, and that was something I wanted to ask you as well. Uh, you know, like Ben, you said at the start, you saw these movies in theaters, and, and I'm sure, Zach, you saw some of these in, in order, I guess is what I'm saying, which I did not. You know, like I saw Infinity War and Endgame and whatever the hell other MCU movies I saw without seeing Spider-Man Homecoming. But I never felt, you know, that I didn't get the sense of what was going on. I never felt lost or anything like that. And that's the, that's the um, you know, the, the structure of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, it's like a serialized TV show. They want you to get involved on any episode you start watching. Um, has stuff from Far From Home come up in further MCU movies? Because what, now, well, I don't think Black Widow counts because I think that took place before Far From Home, but like in Shang-Chi and, and in Eternals, no. if anybody knows about it, no. did any of this stuff matter or is it only going to matter to No Way Home when that comes out? And I think that's why I was saying I agree with you, Ben, that this stuff is placed into the universe, but then they're going to say, yeah, it's there. You can remember if you need to. It's not that important, and we're going to call on it when we're ready to call on it, like they did with the um, Jake Gyllenhaal in the back of the you know, did the, did the snap zoom to reveal he was the creator of the technology and stuff. So I think I'm with both you guys that a lot of this setup doesn't really matter but it matters well, when they say, well, hey, look at that. Remember that from three movies ago? Now that's, that's important. This is, but this is this weird thing, Robin. You know, like we've talked about it a lot. Like the, this – like when it comes to just like nostalgia baiting and that yes. like, oh, OK, like we're bringing back Will, like Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, Rice Iffins, um, Thomas Hayden Church, uh, Jamie Foxx. 
and it's like we're we're referencing. And we talked about this in the Amazing Spider-Man discussion, but it's like we're referencing things that aren't even that weren't even popular. Mm-hmm. So like it's this weird sort of like almost anti-nostalgia, which I think is fascinating as like a cultural touch point because like that's never really happened before. Um, referencing things that were not popular. Um, unless it's like a joke, but again, like think about it. who on earth was clamoring for more Jamie Fox Electra? Well, sure, but what's the other than Jamie Fox? So, yeah, I mean, yeah. but what's the appeal to you then, Zach? Because you were one of the first people to tell me you were like Jamie Fox's Electro, Tobey Maguire, and this stuff. It's coming back for Spider Man. I was like, Zach, I don't Stockholm care, syndrome. you know, Stockholm syndrome, but is, Stockholm is, syndrome. That's what we call. That's what we call it. But that's what in, I call it. In your heart of hearts, do you think that is really what is appealing oh, yeah. to you oh, about no, this I'm stuff? Gonna, I want you to know, Robert. There's been a lot of soul searching. Um, okay. Like I said, I, again, I, I, for the record, folks, I've never met Ben in the flesh. He has a great disembodied voice. <laughs> uh, it's the idea that, like, I, like I said, I've been a Spider-Man fan for tw- almost 20 years now. It's the idea that, like, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man was very influential on me, but, like, going back and, like, really looking at, like, these Spider-Man films under this lens with, like, scrutiny, um, intellectual, like, like, let's see what these things are made of. Let's dissect them. Mm -hmm. Those three films, like, those first three films are just, like, it's nostalgia. It it blinds me because, like, even after those discussions, like, we really, again, after five hours of talking, I kind of sat there and I'm like, these are not... I don't think these are objective masterpieces. I don't think if it weren't for the fact that they were the first ones to the table, they would be remembered. And yet, like, it's like, I will, like, I am, like, I'm like everybody else on the internet. Like, just for context, like, the day we're recording this, they released a a, a poster for No Way Home. And, like, Tobey Maguire's been trending all day because the joke is, is, like, it's the worst kept secret that he's in this movie. Yet they've done a phenomenal job of not letting anything really of him leak that's substantial. Okay. And and that's the thing. Like, Like, the moment we see him in that suit... It's like why we, I think we talked about this at some point, maybe a couple weeks ago, or maybe I've lost track. Maybe a couple weeks from now, um, when I saw the Matrix Resurrections trailer, it was like, oh god, this trailer! I was kind of watching it, and I'm like, ugh, I'm like, okay. And then you get to the very end with the digital rain, and you hear like that music sting of the Matrix coding, and I'm like, god damn it, I'm on board. I'm like, it's this weird, like it's um, like conditioning almost. Um, I think the moment. I see a good lord twenty on uh, what fifteen twenty year old later or twenty years later, uh, Tobey Maguire. Like it's gonna be there. Like I know in the theater because apparently, spoiler alert, like you're gonna get Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. It's like oh god, like like we haven't seen that in forever, S- relative to pop culture years. That is forever. Like yeah, it, I I think it's this. I, they're playing on multiple wavelengths of nostalgia. That I don't think has ever been done before. Like, and I think that's kind of like that's why I want to do No Way Home, and this is why we're having an entire month uh, title to be determined, uh, <laughs> devoted to this. Is that like I, I can't think of maybe you guys can. Has this ever happened before? Like on this sort of level? Like I'm not saying there hasn't been like other things in, in media we've referenced in the past that are like quasi popular that we've dredged back up. I'm not arguing that, but something so like just top shelf like A-plus tier Spider-Man to go back and dig up the best Alfred Molina also with what's considered the worst, Jamie Foxx. And, and it's that weird balance of like just everything is getting brought back in this way. Like I, I think that it's so unique. 
And I don't think Marvel would have done this by itself. I think this is Sony being like, let's swing for the fences. Oh, um, for yeah, a certain yeah. Point we got Tom Hart again, like, whereas I don't think Marvel would ever put one of its stars in a lobster tank eating a raw lobster. <laughs> Sony's just crazy enough to be like, hey, let's try it and see what happens. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. The the Sony thing, because, you know, there's a. The, the whole reason that, you know, the third movie's happening. I think between every Spider-Man movie that Sony releases, uh, Marvel goes to them and tries to say, hey, you want to give up some of those rights? And they go, no, you're going to have to keep working with us. But, Ben, I'm interested to hear what you say about that, the nostalgia question Zach posed, specifically for Spider-Man. But, Zach, I, when you, the way you phrase this big kind of team-up or, or pulling from all these things that, you know, may or may not have even been liked by the masses... I, I think you're right in saying that it's unique for movies. The the thing that I think of ever just imagining like major crossovers, it's TV. I always think of TV, whether it be, you know, in the, the crime show, like Law and Order meets Chicago meets every Dick Wolf created character ever, you know, that type of thing. But even remember back in the day, Nickelodeon it'd be like Danny Phantom meets the Fairly Odd Parents meets SpongeBob meets uh, uh, chalk zone i don't know whatever other thing nickelodeon shows mashed up together so yeah i think you're right saying that this is unique in the sense of a movie i don't think we've ever seen this big pulling from these ips in a movie before unless the premise of the movie is that like a ready player one or something that's a different story but yeah i guess ben the, i think what zach was asking you or asking us was now that you've rewatched the raimi trilogies which i we know aren't weren't kind of your trilogy like it was for Zack back in the day but do you have excitement now to see things from those get dredged back up in a new MCU Spider-Man movie or would you prefer it just kind of continue the way they've been going I, I, and by saying been going I don't really even know what I mean there um, if that makes sense <laughs> I wouldn't say that the so I, I would say I'm excited for No Way Home but I wouldn't say that the reason I'm excited for it has to do that all that much with the nostalgia or okay. the you know, Tobey Maguire etc um, it, it really has more to do with the breaking of the universe idea. Um, so like they, they're creating, you know, they've created a situation where we're getting some kind of multiverse aspect here. Yes. And I'm, I'm excited to see them abuse that in later movies as well. I oh, guess. Okay, okay. Uh, so like it's, it's maybe not going to stick with these particular characters that already existed, but now they can introduce alternative versions of characters mm -hmm. and just do all kinds of crazy comic book shit. And a lot of that will probably just end up on Disney plus streaming, but, but I'm kind of here for that. Like I wouldn't mind seeing, um, you know, like the, the DC animated movies, they, they've done um, like a dark justice league where you have like a bad Superman and, and whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's totally something I could see them doing now is making like a, lower budget but still live action version of that it's like i i'd probably watch that why not you know um i put it on the same way i put on those dc movies which would be like when i don't know what else to do mm -hmm. and so so i guess i'm just excited for them to break that door open and and really o open up the multiverse to themselves in a way that they haven't before and the fact that like the only character i care about seeing again is J. Jonah jameson <laughs> sure like he's, okay he's the only he's the only character from those early movies that it's like that is that character like he is j john james you know oh yeah uh, whereas and, and then of course I, I i also like that I, I i mean at least from from the credits or from the end credit scene of let there be carnage it seems like tom hardy's venom is going to have some kind of role in this movie as sure. well. Sure. Yep. Um, yep. and and i'm i'm excited to see that version of venom interact with spider-man um, but I don't, I don't care about like 
was is Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin coming back? Yes. I don't I don't care about that. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, okay. That that makes perfect sense. I think, you know, you two are coming at it from almost, you know, different sides but reaching the same endpoint where Ben's like, you know, multiverse, more characters, more things to play around with in the sandbox and Zach is like multiverse. I get to play with the toys I used to love to play with back in the day, you know? <laughs> and and you two right. might be the, the two versions of the entirety of the audience. I imagine anybody who's really excited for MCU at all anymore, that's what they're... They're either going multiverse, I can't wait to see what happens, or multiverse, I can't wait to see how what I already like gets reused type of thing. Sure. Uh, and I, I I think that they're, like... I would I would love to see them fucking pull in like the old Fantastic Four shit too, just just for the lols. <laughs> sure. But uh no, I don't think that Willem Dafoe's character or um who's the other one, Doc Ock or, or you know, any of those yeah. characters coming back is gonna make for anything in per- like particularly spectacular. But I think Doctor Strange and Spider Man interacting and then Venom getting in there and, and having that to play with, I think that'll be fun. Sure. Okay, I figured we'd have to get here at a certain point since, you know, the next two episodes of November are going to be Spider-Man adjacent type of stuff. I figured we had to get to doing some type of, well, what the hell do we think is going to happen in in, uh, No Way Home? From what I've read, and once again, you guys, you know, I, I read about this just, you know, maybe 30 minutes before we started recording so I'd have this information. You guys might know more. From what I've read... The premise of No Way Home is Spider-Man goes to Doctor Strange and says, Doctor Strange, can you use magic to give me a secret identity again? So he basically says, Doctor Strange, can you undo everybody knowing that I'm Spider-Man because of what happens in the end of um, uh, No Way Home? Because of that cowboy, (laughs) the broke-back mountain guy. Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal, yes. (laughs) So, So he goes to Doctor Strange and says, can you magic me a secret identity again? And Doctor Strange tries it, and it splits open the multiverse, and all the villains that we've been mentioning come back and have to beat Spider-Man, because they don't like Spider-Man as the abstract idea. Have you guys read or heard anything else? That's all I could find today about the the bare premise of why there's all these villains in this new movie. In, in essence, that's right. Uh, I mean, there is something where Spider uh, Peter Parker's in the room with Doctor Strange, and he's trying to alter the the terms of the spell as Doctor Strange is casting it. Okay. And it's alluded to that that has something to do with why the spell fails. But there's also that um, the guy who played Genghis Khan in Marco Polo, I don't know his name, he's he's like Doctor Strange's sidekick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says something like, don't cast that spell. And Doctor Strange is like, I don't give a fuck. And he does it anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, so so it's it's not necessarily <laughs> indicated that that's why it fails. It could just be that it's a complicated spell. But Doctor Strange does stop messing with the spell as he's casting it. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Because, like, Doctor Strange is like, nobody's gonna remember your Spider-Man. He's like, nobody? What about Ned and MJ? And Aunt May should probably know, and uh, you know, Tony Stark should probably know even though he's dead. But yeah, that's that's the general premise. And, and then... The world goes crazy. We see fractals in the movie a little bit um, with, like, some trains duplicating and shit, and then a Green Goblin bomb comes out of the ground or something. Okay. I, I like the way that you described that stuff with Doctor Strange, and, and I'm assuming Benedict Wong is the person you're talking the actor you're talking about, but where Benedict Wong would say something like, don't cast that spell, and Doctor Strange is like, script says I gotta cast the spell. <laughs> <laughs> Like the movie makes uh, me yeah. want to cast the spell, you know. <laughs> he uh, he does this thing where he's like, "I won't do it," and then like he's giving Peter Parker side. I like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. Okay, <laughs> sure. Okay, okay. So they're all gonna get blended together. All this multiverse stuff. Like we said, we're gonna have our uh, Tobey Maguire 
Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland teaming up to beat these guys. I don't know. I just hope that it doesn't become like a vomit of CGI that these Marvel movies sometime can become. Um, that Which I did have a little problems with. I think some of the drone stuff at the end of the second movie, that fight was totally disorienting. A little bits and pieces of it. But I mean, like, is that... How much... I guess my question for you guys is, how much do you think that No Way Home is going to set up for the remainder of the MCU? Because that's something that we haven't talked about a lot about, you know... Uh, Zach, when we did Endgame, we were kind of like, well, they have other things on the docket, but this is really the biggest conclusion we're ever going to get. This is like their second chance at like a jumping off point, because I know like, what, Black Widow is a wash, it seems. I think you two guys liked Shang-Chi, from what you told me. It it really is falling on Spider-Man, this third Tom Holland Spider-Man, to really set up where they're going in the future, right? Because I don't think Shang-Chi or, I don't know, Eternals also, if they've really done any heavy lifting yet. So that that's actually... Um kind of an interesting idea because like there was this idea that captain marvel was going to take over being like the lead avenger oh yeah um and then really far from home sets it up that peter parker is going to be the next tony stark Mm -hmm. and tony stark has always been like some kind of unofficial leader or official leader i mean depending on how you look at it because captain america is like technically in charge i guess sure but but tony stark has always been in charge um, so I, I, I'm a, I'm a little bit curious if they're actually going to put Peter Parker at like the mantle of the Avengers, um, which would be, I, I, that would definitely not fit any canon I'm familiar with. Spider-Man has always been like an auxiliary Avenger. Yeah. Uh, um, so that'll be kind of interesting. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, like he wants to, uh, Tom Holland is something about being Tony Stark 2.0. So, so that really could be the route they're going with this. And, to be honest, I, I wouldn't completely hate it if they set that up because I don't love Captain Marvel as a character. Um, she's kind of Deus Ex Machina, the the character, which I just have never been a fan of. I don't like, and like that's one of the reasons I'm also not a very big fan of Superman. Is like sure. Superman is either too strong or actually just dead because of kryptonite. <laughs> or, or magic. Yeah. It's like check it's out like this the only, rock. <laughs> the, the only time that Superman ever gets like into an interesting fight is when he's like fighting Shazam or Black Adam because they have magic that can hurt oh. him some, but not. Dude, Killing. yeah. I know we've talked about it. There's a great Justice League Unlimited episode where Superman and Shazam are fighting, and Shazam is holding Superman above his head, screaming yeah. Shazam to get the lightning to go into him. That's, I'm like, all about that type of stuff. That's weird right. comic book, like, using the rules type of thing. Totally dig Sure. And, and that's, that's like, the only interesting stuff that I, or the only stuff I've ever really found interesting with Superman, because he's too powerful. He, he doesn't have limits, and without limits, you don't have story, and, and that's something that I've, I've kind of like Superman was created in a time that we we needed that that Infinity Man sure. to to come save us, but but that's not. I don't feel like we're there anymore. I, definitely, I I have not seen Captain Marvel, but from what I know from seeing her in other MCU movies like Endgame, um, and from what I've heard, that you're right, she is the Deus Ex Machina type of thing, especially at the end of Endgame with her flying oh, yeah. through she... a ship type of thing. But I I just, I just wanted to know, Ben, I don't know if I should cut this out or not. Did you see uh, Captain Marvel in theaters? I did, yes. You I did? did? How did? Zach, how did he get in? I don't want to blow up your spot, Ben. You're a white man. I thought white <laughs> men were not allowed to see that movie. <laughs> um, Why are you outing him, Rob? Why are you outing him? Because I, I have monster? to know I have to know if, if, uh, if I should cut this out or he has a story of how a white man got to see a Brie Larson movie. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I, I definitely um, – I she's personally sent me an email and told me not to go see it uh, <laughs> and that I shouldn't support anything she ever does because of, of toxic masculinity or something. But I didn't get that email until after I was out of the theater. Uh, my phone doesn't always give me <laughs> notifications at the right time. So I, I kind of did it against her wishes, and I felt bad about it, but, um, you know, say la vie. 
fair. I think I'm the only one who uh, advi- took advice from her rules. I did not see that movie in theaters or ever. So I think I'm the only one who's done the right thing, according to Brie Larson. <laughs> it, well, it, it is the right thing to not support nonsense like that. Um, <laughs> hey <Hey-oh. laughs> uh, But no, I, I, I mean, Captain Marvel is like, it's kind of just okay. Mm-hmm. And, and they really could have done something so much better with that movie. In, in particular, they could have not told us her backstory before she knew it. And okay. they, we could have learned it with her instead of just watching this character learn something we already know. Oh, I got you. Like, okay. that, like that would have been infinitely more interesting to go into it and be like, I have amnesia and I'm on Earth and I don't know what the fuck's going on. And this whole movie is about me figuring out who I am. And that would have... Because, sure. like, her, her, her origin story is not interesting. She, like, is near the Tesseract and gets powers. And then she's has power inhibitors on her, so she can't use her full powers. Mm-hmm. And then she, at the end of the movie, or she, throughout the whole movie, she's told, like, she's too emotional when she expresses zero emotion. Um, <laughs> and then it's it's like it's if Kristen Stewart came back from the dead, because she's dead, right? No, that's not. I'm sorry. If Kristen Stewart... <laughs> she's a vampire, I think. <laughs> at, and it, that, that's Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. It's just like, she's not doing anything. And they're like, you're too emotional. You're letting your emotions get the best of you. And she's just like, I'm a blank slate, literally. That's how I've always felt about Brie Larson. I haven't seen everything she's done. Like, I've clearly never seen Captain Marvel. I've never seen Room. Not The Room, just Room. I know she got a lot of acclaim for that. But I don't know if if you are going to remember this, Ben. It was so long. She is in Don John. Do you remember her in Don John? Uh, I don't. Okay, yeah, it was. It's a really small part. I had to like actually remind myself because when I was doing my research, I was like, you know, I knew we were gonna have to bring up Brie Larson with MCU stuff. But she basically has like the Silent Bob moment at the end of the movie where she's like, uh, like in the corner on her phone the whole time. She's one of like uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's friends or titular Don John's friends. And at the end, okay. she like looks up from her phone and she says something where is is the exact message of the movie like it literally is the silent bob okay. moment from chasing amy and she is so checked out in that movie and she sucks like i went back and watched that scene and she is so boring and bland and that's what i wanted to know from you guys because i think you've seen captain uh, marvel zach like does she ever make a facial expression because ben what you were saying about crystal St- Kristen stewart was giving you the same vibes i've been getting from brie larson as never making a facial expression and saying i'm stoic you know that like is is that right? Is well, it's a facial expression. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the thing is, the movie doesn't say I'm stoic for, for Brie Larson. The movie says Brie Larson's too emotional. But Brie Larson has never experienced an emotion <laughs> on screen as far as I can tell. Yeah. Remember her in um, uh, Endgame, like at the beginning when she like shows up to Thor and she's like, hey, Thor. And Thor's like, I like her. Why? Because the script told me that, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> she has no presence yeah. in Endgame at all. But um, what is the plot to Catherine? Like you said, you probably like it's what Jude Law. Like he's the bad guy, but he's like the mentor as well. Like it's the exact. It, it's basically Iron Man again. Whereas the mentor is the bad guy, right? I I I only saw it only once. Yeah, I mean, in essence, like, she was, I I don't know, kidnapped or found or something and and taken into space and given Jude Law as a mentor. And and, and it turns out that that they're just exterminating the Kree for no reason or something. And they're actually the bad people. And then, so, like, it's, it's like Iron Man but with a bigger universe or like a a bigger stage because they're including aliens. The aliens play almost 
no role <laughs> other than that they are the victims. They could have easily been people from, like, I don't know, any other part of the world, and it wouldn't have mattered except that they had shape-shifting abilities, which made them more difficult to find on Earth. So, yeah, I mean, and then the plot the plot is that she learns that her emotions aren't a hindrance and that she should be she should be her powerful woman self and um that's that's it that's the plot i don't know it sounds yeah. pretty great to me um, zach <laughs> what do you put it that way well and they even give us that like kind of disgusting montage flashback of her constantly being told that she was too emotional as a kid and it's like i i just no i don't care about this like does anybody care about this you know and, and <laughs> It's it's not like in some in in some movies and there are times when you guys bring it up you're like does anybody care about this I'm tempted to like this isn't the part that you're supposed to care about this is the setup for the part you're supposed to care about and maybe that's what that was too but it it, it actually was just kind of like infuriating to watch mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. sure the the one thing I know about Captain Marvel because of people telling me in cultural osmosis is that um it sets up that Nick Fury loses eye because of a cat, right? Am I misremembering yep. this? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Even though in what, in, in like Winter Soldier, he says like, I trusted a friend or something, or whatever. Like, I remember people saying it was very The friend he trusted was the cat. <laughs> he, he trusted the cat that he didn't know at all to be a good cat, and it wasn't a good cat. That's oh, what he meant. That seems crazy to me. And maybe we should use this as a transition back into the Spider-Man movies, um, specifically what you said about Captain Marvel, Ben, because Nick Fury, well, Samuel Jackson I love seeing all the time. He's Nick Fury, of course. He's going to be Nick Fury forever, it seems, type of thing. Even in the modern comics, they've, you know, made him look more like Samuel Jackson, it seems. But mm-hmm. at the end, at the the, the very end credit scene of uh, Far From Home, and so not the Mysterio one, not the one with J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, I was so confused. So Maria Hill and Nick Fury were just aliens the entire time? That's what that last scene is supposed to tell us about the movie? Uh, no, they're not aliens the entire... Well, they're, they're aliens for all of Far From Home, but they're not aliens for all of the, like, MCU. Yes, yes, they, of course. Oh, yeah, they're just aliens for Far From Home, absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, and, yes. and also, um, this was told to me by at least 25 different IMDb trivia facts. One of them explains every moment in the movie where you can see it coming beforehand. And I'm like, that's all fun and that's fine and whatever, but, like, what what does that matter? Like, showing off that characters were not who they were should be a big twist. It should be a revelation. It should recontextualize how I think about what I just watched. And they, well, them right, including in, it... In this... Yeah, as a post credit scene, I'm just like... Does this matter? It was so strange to reveal something that big so it, late. It doesn't matter at all for Far From Home. Uh, I don't know that it matters at all for the MCU other than to set up this, that Nick Fury is somewhere else. Yes, yes. Am I right about that, Zach? Yeah, it's it's, that, it's the reveal that, like, okay, S.H.I.E.L.D. has now been dissolved for, God, five years mm-hmm. in, in, in continuity. And it's like, oh, Nick Fury is working on Sword, um, right? Which is supposed to be okay, in, yes. lending lending more to like what they're doing with like the cosmic and like stuff of Marvel, right? So it, it doesn't matter for the plot of Far From Home at all. It's, it's not it's, as if it, yeah, it's not as if he was a a baddie, and it's just laying groundwork for the sure, for sure. It was just stuff. I was so confused. I was like. I was like, this doesn't change anything, but shouldn't it? It seems like such a big deal, but you're right. It's just that setting up that, you know, from what I read, 
um, Nick Fury is off-world, and that's going to matter later. So they're setting those seeds, which I'm fine with. But I was just so fucking confused when that happened. <laughs> sure, yeah. I also didn't expect it. So when I was watching it, you know, when we get the mid credit scene with um, Mysterio video and J. Jonah Jameson, I was like, okay, you know, and I, like... I was, like, finishing up my, like, notes and stuff, and I had lowered the volume, and when the post credit scene started, I, like, missed some of their dialogue, but I'm like, I don't think this matters, right? Like, can a post credit scene matter this much? Which yes. brings me to probably the greatest post credit scene I've ever seen in the first, in Homecoming. The very end of the credits oh, is the Captain America PSA talking about patience. And yeah. I totally get that I, I'm sure, and from what I've read, that they're going for, like, oh, you, like, patience is a virtue. And it's referring to the fact that, you know, everybody just sat through the credits waiting for some scene in a movie type of thing. I think it even works better as a tongue-in-cheek reference to waiting for more Marvel movies. Like, I was honestly expecting Captain America to say, and be sure to swipe that credit card to help us beat Thanos on the way out, or something like that. Like, it really screamed well, he, as the joke we've been he, making for years. <laughs> Hi, I'm Captain America, here to talk to you about one of the most valuable traits a soldier or student can have. Patience. Sometimes patience is the key to victory. Sometimes it leads to very little, and it seems like it's not worth it. And you wonder why you waited so long for something so disappointing. How many more of these? But he even says, sometimes you do all that waiting for nothing. Like, he, it's like yeah, they're, yeah. they're making fun of them, the, that, that end scene in and of itself. But I guess for the for them to, to take that even further, for them to essentially be saying like the next Marvel movie probably also doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, exactly. That, that would be pretty funny. Well, was, even like the yeah. final line he says is, uh, like, yeah, he breaks character. Yeah, and he's like, well, how many more oh, of these are we the doing, guys? And it's yeah. like, and it's great. It's like, like I rem- I have to say that like, oh god, because that was that wasn't a bad movie going experience. But by the time you got to that second post credit scene. I'm just like, and you have that, like, that's kind of fun. Like, I remember just laughing, being like, okay. Like, they're actually, like, there's a couple of moments in Homecoming that are actually pretty, oh, God. Like, considering how safe, like, Disney Marvel is, felt, like, relatively, uh, sh- like, biting. Mm-hmm. Like, even the whole thing with, like, Hannibal Burris, is, like, oh, the gym yes. who has, like, what, two scenes? Oh, God. And, like, like when he when his first scene happens and he's showing the uh, the gym Captain America video or in gym class the Captain America video and I'm just like oh are we really doing this like because earlier like one of the teachers was talking about the Sokovia Accords and I'm like oh no we're jamming so much MCU into this but then Hannibal Burris at the end of the video goes okay that's over listen to that guy or not he might be a war criminal at this point and it just is wonderful <laughs> I'm like yeah, give him yeah, all just... the dialogue <laughs> hi I'm Captain America. Whether you're in the classroom or on Do the you know him too? Yeah, we met. I stole the shield. Today, my good friend, your gym teacher, will be conducting the Captain America Fitness Challenge. Thank you, Captain. I'm pretty sure this guy's a war criminal now, but whatever. I have to show these videos. It's quiet by the state. Let's do it. He says something like, I think he's a war criminal, but the state makes me show this. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and then I also got a great laugh um, when Peter Parker... And uh, Zendaya are in detention, and Peter Parker just leaves, and Peter Parker is like a solid 10 seconds out the door, and Hannibal Burris goes, 
where are you going? <laughs> you know, or something like that. <laughs> like he is, he is right. far gone. You know, and that's Hannibal Burris. Uh, ben and I have known him for a while. He's he's so fucking funny, and he is great in the two scenes he has in that first movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he he called out Bill Cosby before anyone else did. So, oh yes, he also called out a uh, somebody not making scrambled eggs for him. Was that the bit we watched from him, Ben, back in the day, where he's like, "You got a pan." You got eggs. You can make scrambled eggs. Why won't you make me scrambled eggs? Is this ringing a bell? <laughs> I have to dig it up. I haven't, uh, I haven't heard that in so long. <laughs> I definitely know that's a comedy bit, but I don't. I don't know for certain that that's Hannibal Burris. Ooh. Uh, okay. I'm, there's one where he's like talking about being in line at a grocery store, and some crazy shit. That's that's the one I remember the best. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the cinema audience, get ready for a correction and then multiple stand-up comedy clips. That'll be a little intermission for this episode. <laughs> nice. Hey kids, turns out that both Ben and Rob were right in that the sketches or the stand-up routines they were thinking of are both from Hannibal Burris. The one about the scrambled eggs that uh, I mentioned seems to be from the 2012 appearance of Hannibal Burris at HBO's The Night of Too Many Stars. Uh, after an exhaustive 7 to 10 minutes of searching, I cannot find this clip, but I swear to you that it exists, and it was very funny from what I remember. I hope one day I can recover that. Uh, the other one that Ben mentioned, the grocery store line clip, I was able to find, and so here it is. I realized recently my judgment gets messed up more by food and juice than it does by drugs and alcohol. Like, I love apple juice. I think it's delicious. I want to start my own apple juice company. I don't know how you go about doing that. I try emailing Mots for advice, and not really accessible, so I have to keep being a consumer. <laughs> Me and my girl go to the grocery store. Mott's Fresh Press Natural Apple Juice, $1.79 for a half gallon. That's a great sale. So we get eight bottles. Eight bottles is all we have on the belt. In front of us is an old man. He's looking back, shaking his head like, nah, nope. I'm like, what's wrong, old man? You mad because we got all this apple juice? Because you can go get some too. It's over there in our four. But if not, stop judging us because hell yeah, we're hoarding this juice. Taking advantage of this sale before this store realized what a horrible mistake they've made. <laughs> And you know what? We're back here happy with our apple juice. You up there lonely with your Hormel chili, you lonely Hormel chili eating old man. <laughs> and it took me a minute to realize he wasn't shaking his head because of the apple juice. He was shaking his head because my girlfriend was white and he didn't agree with that. But I was so caught up in the euphoria of having all that apple juice. <laughs> that for like a minute, I lived in a world where racism didn't exist. I was like, it's obvious that this old man is just an apple juice hater. <laughs> and he's just really mad because he can't acquire all the apple juice. Then I'm a crime right now. Hey, thanks a lot, y'all. Um, you know, but Hannibal Burst is great. I think also on that topic, J.B. Smoove as the other teacher who is obsessed with witchcraft in, home, in uh, Far From Home. Yeah. J.B. Smoove is a very funny person. I wish they gave him more to do. I think his best moment in Far From Home is at near the very end when the kids are, like, leaving, and that one kid, I think Brad is his name, he's like, isn't this kind of crazy? Like, Peter keeps disappearing, and, like, now, and, like, he, like, Brad gives this whole monologue, but when he starts, he says, like, isn't this crazy? And J.B. Smoove is like, yeah, man, this is wild. And because he's just been going <laughs> along for the ride because the other teacher teacher played by martin Starr, is always like we got upgraded we're going to prague now we're going to the opera and jb smooth is like i don't know what the fuck's going on we're just having a trip you know <laughs> right 
he's great. He's yeah, great. That, well, and he even goes up to Brad afterwards. He's like, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to do a cool teacher thing right now. Stop <laughs> taking pictures of people in the bathroom. Like that, that's weird. Yeah, doesn't he say something? He's like, I don't know why you do it, but it's weird. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so. I, I like those comedy elements because those are the comedy elements that were not very I don't, I don't, I don't want to say immature, but like not like high schoolerish. Like there's a lot of high schooler comedy in with the kids, of course. You know, like in the start of the second movie, you have the whole thing where Peter's like, "I'm gonna do this with MJ, and I'm gonna buy her this necklace, and we're gonna get Eiffel Tower, and you know, like step one, two, three, and all that stuff." And then you know, Ned is responding very proactively and very supportively, and then he's like, "Don't forget step seven. Don't do any of that stuff." And I'm just like, "Oh, ha ha ha!" The, the teacher, even Martin Starr. Puts the camera on the railing of the dock, takes a picture of himself, and it's like, oh boy, we're going to see it fall. Oh, it almost falls, but he catches it, and I'm just sitting here, and I'm like, okay, how many seconds is it going to take for him to actually drop the camera? And then it's like four, and it's like, good for you, Marvel. You set up a joke and did a quick, you know, subversion of it, and then made the same fucking joke you were going to make anyway. That's the stuff that grates on me big time in these movies. Definitely, and that's that's like the... uh... I guess the formula that I was talking about with, with the Marvel jokes. Yes. There's always that like setups subversion but not really subversion joke. It's it's um it was funny what, like the first couple times it happened? I'm and then it was like, Oh, they were like, oh, the audience laughs at this. Let's do it always. Yeah, and I that I'm that I really want to talk about this. This is the thing, because I, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of my friends, you guys, our cinema audience, even the people who are involved in this podcast, they know I hate the Marvel movies. They know I hate the MCU. I don't think I've ever really gotten to explain why. It's exactly what you just explained, Ben. And further, I think it is what I've started to call the Marvel-itis of things. It, it's not like Marvel invented this. This has been done in a lot of other formats, specifically like comedic uh talk shows about politics like the colbert report and the daily show with john stewart stuff like that late night shows it all boils down to a simple formula that is we can't go more than a few minutes without making a joke so in these marvel movies and of course i will talk about some examples i'm sure from these spider-man ones you'll have some action or you'll have some serious emotional weight going on but that can't last longer than five minutes As soon as the movie starts to hit the four-minute mark of things being too serious, the movie starts to sweat and convulse and says, we need to make a joke because we need to make sure people are having fun while they're watching these movies. And I think that's my big problem with the MCU. I think these movies are very basic. I think they're very vacuous. But they are structured in such a way that when somebody leaves the theater or finishes watching the movie, they're going to go, yeah, I had a pretty good time because I remember laughing through most of it. And you're laughing through most of it because they've put a certain level of density of jokes that keeps you engaged. This is the same reason I I really cannot stand Last Week Tonight with John Oliver for years. We could do a whole episode on there was an episode where he lied about something in the actuarial community, and that was a big deal for me uh, with insurance policies and stuff like that. I'm I'm not going to get into that now. But these political commentary shows, like last week with John Oliver, they will give you two to three minutes of actual facts or actual opinions, and they will always bolster or separate those two or three minutes with jokes. And by the time you finish watching the program, you go, yeah, I kind of agree with what he said. And you don't really think about what was actually stated. You're thinking about the fact that it was punctuated with something that made you feel good, made you laugh. It was funny. And I think the marvelitis of movies in general or programs in general is a detriment to our society. It's, it's basically saying, hey, if I want to have a debate, 
I'm going to win because I can make good points while making you laugh. When really, certain things should be able to do that without the constant density of laughter, if that all makes sense to you guys. Ben, I think we've gotten this a little bit before on the Patreon, but the MCU is really where I've started to gravitate towards this idea. The constant just reminder that we are watching something fun. And movies don't need to do that, but they do it because it's the formula. Because people will get their asses back in seats to see this movie. Well, and that's that's one of the things that like the, the DC animated universe completely has over over any other comic book movie you know collection is that they don't rely on any kind of jokes or humor like they can have like a a very good dark movie um and and then if there's an occasional joke in it because the joker says something funny like that's whatever but the movie doesn't rely on those jokes to keep its momentum and um, Yeah. yeah and that's something that I think makes those movies fantastic and why and why I think the DC animated universe will probably have the best comic book content f- forever until other people figure out they don't need to do these like gimmicky attention getters. But I, I and again, it, it kind of comes down to like, who is their desired audience? And the desired audience is not comic book fans. Mm-hmm. The de- desired obvi- audience is everybody. Like they want everybody to want to watch these movies. Absolutely. And, you know, it's like, they, well, they want to make they want to make money and I can't fault them for that. But if, if they and, – and to some degree, I, I still enjoy them despite my kind of complaints about the, the formulaic – formulaity? What's, mm. Do we have a word for that? <laughs> uh, of their jokes. Formulicity? Um, <laughs> yeah, form, yeah, sure, the formulicity of their jokes. Um, I still kind of kind of like these movies anyway, uh, but it's, it's in spite of those things, not because of them. Whereas I'm I'm more interested in the actual comic book villain superhero sure. interactions and stories and stakes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, you know instead of being primarily motivated by by the chuckle moments. I'm so glad you bring up the DC animated movies. Like the great example that we've mentioned a bunch, Ben. We love Under the Red Hood. The the jokes in that movie are messed up you know the i'll take one with you and the kid and then one with me and the kid and one with me and the crowbar you know you know one of our favorite jokes from that movie but it's like it's showing you how fucked up the situation is whereas in the mcu they almost reverse it to keep that levity well you'll have like this big fight scene going on or you'll have this emotional moment where like peter's like losing his mind because he doesn't know what's real or what's not and that type of thing and i don't know happy hogan will like fart and drop a sandwich it's not the same thing <laughs> it's it's not adding to the the tension it's cutting the tension and it's so annoying to me in the marvel movies sure um and, i mean that that's obviously a, a little bit of an exaggeration of what they do but, yeah. you, but you're not wrong that there's <laughs> i couldn't that, i couldn't find just... what happened when i because i wrote one example down in my six pages of notes but i couldn't find it so i said farts and drops a sandwich <laughs> So the the one thing like the the one I remember that I think bothered me the most is the whole like Captain America watch your language oh, bit in sure, whatever sure. movie that was and I was just like shut the fuck up like like don't get me wrong self referential humor is some of the best humor but stop it like this yeah. isn't funny yeah I'm with you and I'm it, with you so. Like I said, I, I I like the Marvel movies in in spite of, not because of fair, those things. Fair. I don't know, Zach. What do you think about the um the the Marvelitis I've described? I know it's something we've gotten it before, maybe not directly in this way, but you you know how much I hate that um let's let's make a point and bolster it with a joke, and people will like it more, type of thing, or or connect to it more, whatever you want to call it. 
Oh god, but again, it, I'm trying to think of what I, to me that became very egregious. It was always baked into the pie, but it went over the top. I want to say like in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh yeah, um, oh, it was. Yeah. It was like I said, like Iron. The first Iron Man has its moments, but a lot of that's like writing off like Robert Downey Jr.'s um, just comedic timing. And then like maybe it went back even to the first Thor, where like all he does is get hit by cars in that movie, and it's a joke. <laughs> um, sure, sure. And then like like that was the weird thing about like Marvel back like in the early days, in that like and then you have the first Captain America, which is a pretty. I don't want to call it stoic because that's the wrong word, but it's pretty like even keeled and that like it has its moments of levity. Like we ha- we watched Tommy Lee Jones eat a steak, um, <laughs> and then like once again we go back into like the Avengers and Avengers is, like as much as like Joss Whedon is a dirty like word now, he does a pretty solid job of balancing like the quips with like actual oh god story momentum. And Why then, is Joss Whedon a dirty word? What do I not know? He like like molested every he yeah. molested everybody. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. the easiest way to <laughs> okay. say it. Um, the, the most Trachtenberg. recent, the most recent, yeah, okay, I think you were about to tell the exact same story I was to Ben. Uh, the most recent Joss Whedon thing was that like, you know, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and and most of the cast of Buffy the Vampire Slayer were actively trying to keep Joss Whedon out of a room with Michelle Trachtenberg because he was known to be a predator. And Michelle Trachtenberg oh was like, God. what, like 13, 14, 15? Yeah, when that show was, was being filmed? Age. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the last thing I heard, and where people were like, yeah, we had to literally like plan out our day so they would never be in the same room together so we could protect her. And it's like, that's fucking wild. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wasn't, isn't Michelle Trachtenberg also in... Thor? Uh, this... That's Kat Dennings Kat Den- you might be thinking of. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Who is she in, in Buffy? Ooh, that's a good question. Michelle Trachtenberg I will always know as the uh, the girl from Eurotrip, if anybody remembers. Is it these... Michelle Trachtenberg the sister, or is that Allison Flanagan? Allison Flanagan's just a friend. Yeah. Okay. So I'm pretty sure it's her sister, sister, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, she's yeah, Dawn, Dawn right. Summers is who she plays. Okay, in, uh, yeah. In Buffy. Right. So, yeah. So she's Buffy's sister. But no, but the point being is that like it became more and more egregious over time where everything has to be oh, equipped. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was the Robert Downey Jr. thing where, like, even, like, God, like, in Civil War where he introduces Spider-Man, it's not just simply, like, Spider-Man, like, coming out doing his thing. It's under ruse! And then, mm. like, like, it's, like, a goddamn joke. I'm like, do we need that? Um, and he's not even wearing, like, his, like, cute little, like, hoodie and, like, ski masks, like, goggles costume. It's, it's yeah, like, he's wearing, like, a super suit. I'm like, like, okay... Um, I don't get the underroost thing. I I thought that it's was a quip. Really Quipping, everything is, that a, is quip not a now. That is not a quip. That is cute. Ben, he's calling the guy in a onesie under. Isn't that clever? Shove the popcorn into your mouth, you <laughs> piece of trash. That's that's what that line is telling you. <laughs> I I to be honest, I didn't even remember it. So when I saw it, like reiterated in these movies i was like did that happen <laughs> yeah it's like, I'm, I'm i feel you. like i would have made fun of that um it's like i it's like they're really throwing like what underwear humor at us how yeah. that... people you think if you were to pull people coming out of the theater that opening weekend what percentage do you think got the under reference was it above or below one percent <laughs> i wait is that's a reference to something other than just underwear that, but that's what it is, though. It's like, like think about it. like underoos haven't been a thing like in culture 
for what, 25, 30 years now? Yeah, Under Under Ruse was a product that had um, superhero logos on it, like, in, what, the 80s, I think? Yeah, like, yeah. or even 70s, I want to say, like, uh, Batman. Okay. And that's the thing, like, he's making an underwear reference. Like, it's kind of like, oh, God, like, oh, like, making a thing about, like, oh, I'm trying to, like, what, Calvin Klein underwear in Back to the Future? It's like that same <laughs> tier of, like, underwear reference. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Tune into Cinemati's next week as we try to uh, differentiate underwear references in media. Um, uh, okay, no. I, have to, I have to actually read this. This is from the Wikipedia page for Underoos, which gives you the whole history of what the hell they are. Uh, in the in-pop culture section... One paragraph says, Actress Gwyneth Paltrow, who plays the Marvel character Pepper Potts, had mentioned in interviews she was, quote, definitely not a comic book reader, end quote, but her brother was. Paltrow says she was, in quotes, exposed to Marvel superheroes because of her brother as he had Spider-Man underoos and Spider-Man sheets at a young age. This literally might be why that line is in the movie. <laughs> God. That is wild. I I thought underoos was just a term for like generic underwear. I didn't realize it was a brand. Yeah, it's a brand. It uh, isn't. I, isn't. It, I think Ben's right though. I well, think yeah. it, it's like it, it became like, like band aid. How the hell did we just jinx each other over over Skype? How did that just happen, Zach? <laughs> yeah. Well, how did and how did you guys? Yeah, how did you both come up with the same example of that? Because like I definitely came up like I was thinking Velcro. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. applicable. Zach and I had band-aids on the brain for some reason. <laughs> Ben's like band-aids. Or like, jacu- or like jacuzzis or sea Like, sure, There's so sure. many example band-aids and not one I ever think of. <laughs> nice. Can we talk about Gwyneth Paltrow in the last, like, 14 oh. seconds of this movie? And yet she's, like, third build. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I did see that, that she was high up there, and it turns out that she has one scene, and from what I've read, in multiple interviews after filming that scene, she thought it was for a different movie. Like, there was some interview I found where they were like, you know, can you tell us about your scene in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming? And she goes, what? I'm not in that movie. And they're like, um, n- no, you-, you definitely are? And she's like, no, 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 no. And she had to, like, be explained what she filmed for that movie. Okay, okay. <laughs> to be, in Gwen Paltrow's defense, like, I have heard this from other Marvel actors. I know, like, it's Anthony Mackie's in uh, Age of Ultron. Yeah. And, like, he's, like, in that party sequence. And he's like, yeah, like, I just showed up to filming one day. And, like, I, I was given, like, my lines and I did it. And they did not explain to me, like, the context. Because, like, I'll think about, like, everybody forgets with, like, the schedule these movies have been on now for like a decade they're like when they started filming like oh god like captain america the first one in mm-hmm. thor it was like 2010 and like think about it, you know like we get like a captain america or a thor movie like every like two three years there was an avengers movie or they're doing something like a cameo period appearance in this like captain america sure and so like i kind of don't blame these actors like, it's fun. Isn't fun to dunk on Gwen Paltrow? Yes. Like, she's an easy target. But, like, at the same time, like, all this is shrouded in secrecy. It's not like she's reading, like, a binder on like, the front cover. It says, Spider-Man Homecoming script, release date July 2017. Like, like that's where I'm willing to, like, be like, okay, like, she's a human being. She's just, Gwen like. Paltrow is a saint. Don't you say a negative thing about her. <laughs> I didn't say anything <laughs> negative of the Star of Bounce, also starring Ben Affleck. Oh, yes, yes. I, I know what you're saying, Zach, and now I'm, I'm a little scared to get into it. I don't know if Ben's 
if Ben really loves Gwyneth Paltrow, I was gonna say <laughs> I was gonna say she didn't know what movie she was in because she's so high on her own holistic medicine. <laughs> ben, have you seen the Netflix show that she did about like every episode is like a different holistic medicine where she's like, everybody go do this, and she never does them herself. Have you heard of this? Oh God, no, I haven't. Oh, it is so offensive. I've seen like one or two of the episodes. And one of them is like, you know, oh, there's this guy and he says that if you get really good in like, you know, diving in, in zero degree water, it's going to change your life. And you, you might – it's like you won't get hypothermia. It's like taking a refreshing shower. And there's a whole episode about this and I like look into it and I'm like, is this a real thing? And it's like most people who have worked with this guy have died of hypothermia. And the show, oh it, the show is like actively like, no, this is good. Like you got to act like every day, like get into ice water bath for 30 seconds, then 35, then 40. And it's like acclimate yourself to it. And if you do any research, it's like, no, this is bullshit. Everybody needs to stop it. People are dying. <laughs> uh, oh she sucks. God. She sucks. I don't know if we'll ever do the goop show on this podcast, but uh, that that would be a wild ride. <laughs> I... I did not know about this. I probably honestly just think she's pretty. Um, yeah, she's not bad looking. She's just a fucking nut job. <laughs> you know, that's uh, par for the course. Um, it's called, it's actually called The Goop Lab. It's the name of the show I'm talking about. It's actually called The Goop the... Lab. <laughs> cool. That's a terrible name. <laughs> Other characters that I wanted to mention, because there's some tiny parts in here, and Gwyneth Paltrow was a good pull. I probably would not have remembered to bring that up, but not a tiny part. Something that I have to talk about in Spider-Man Homecoming that was kind of ruinous to the movie for me. I'm going to say this as nicely as possible. I wanted to bully Ned. Ned is a loser. I wanted to punch him in the face so many instances in this movie. I really hated the character of Ned. Uh, question for you guys, from what I read in my research, is it true that this is pretty much a wholly original character? Of course, they might have pulled some inspiration from some comic book material, but from what I was reading, Ned is kind of his own thing for the MCU. Is that right? Uh, my understanding is that that is correct. Okay. okay. Uh, the same The same is true with the MJ character. Um, yes. They kept the same initials, but she her name is like Michelle Jordan or something. Yeah, yeah, which uh, we'll get to Zendaya. I got to talk about Zendaya. But man, in Homecoming, I could not stand Ned. Like Ned was – I don't want to say stupid because, of course, he's like a god-level programmer at some point in the movie. But before we even know that about him, he is basically there to make laughs. He's a laugh machine. He's going to say something innocent and, and stupid and pure in the high school setting is going to be funny. But then when the movie needs him to be, oh, I'm a genius level programmer, he can do that too. The character's so disjointed or lopsided, I guess I should say. I couldn't stand it. I don't know. I, I It's pretty common for people who are intelligent to not be socially savvy. So uh, well, that, I don't... You're not wrong there, but also, I mean, like, I think it gets back to what I was saying about the Marvelitis. Like, his character was, oh, when we need him to be serious, he can do everything he can do on a computer that's going to help Spider-Man. But if we've gone two minutes without a joke and he's in the scene, let's give it to him. I, I thought that it was a little, it was pretty vacuous. And also, kind of, from the second movie, doesn't that, like, social, those social issues kind of just work out in the wash because he falls in love in Europe immediately type of thing. But I don't know. Ned just rubbed me the wrong way. Absolutely. I don't know. What is Zach? What did you think about Ned as this, this sidekick? Well, like Ned is based off like the Miles Morales character of Ganka Lee. Like, like it, it, if you look up that character, oh, Ganka really? Lee, 
it yeah he he not like a hundred percent but you can tell he's like an amalgamation of like that character like a bunch of other just like side characters in spider-man lore um i i my understanding of the og like sony sony like marvel deal from like 2015 Mm -hmm. is that they like when they made that deal all these characters are like exclusive to the disney sony deal so like if they were ever to end that partnership pretty much the only character that sony sony could use would be Tom Holland as Spider-Man and not even this particular Spider-Man, like, oh God, Iron Man Jr. Um, But like MJ would disappear, Ned would disappear, um, this version of Flash Thompson, like it's all exclusive to this deal. That's why she's not Mary Jane and why she's MJ. She's just initials. Um, That's my understanding of the, the Sony Disney deal. Is it like if it's... All these characters, like the, like like Marissa Tomei, Aunt May, exclusive to this deal. Oh, okay. so like if they were if they were to end this like like partnership, pretty much Tom Holland could be Spider Man, but this particular instance of him as like more of a tech person would be would have to be dissolved. Ah, uh, I've heard of stuff but, like that before, so that makes some sense. Okay, yeah, and, and that's the reason why these characters are so weirdly specific. So, like even Vulture, like even Vulture, sure, like if something sure. were to happen, like Vulture would disappear. Um, I don't know when, like, God, this was like two years ago, like right after Far From Home came out. Um, there was like like this big thing, of, like, oh, Sony's pulling like like Spider Man out, like the continuity. Um, I don't know if any sort of deal was like re- I, obviously it was renegotiated because clearly Venom's being brought into this along with all these other like legacy characters. Mm-hmm. So clearly the deal has changed since last time. Like I read anything on it. Um, but that's why, like, Ned is very, like, like this, like, that's why you don't get any of this, the clear-cut characters from, like, typical Spider-Man comics continuity. Right, you're not getting a Harry Osborn or, uh, or, like, the standard Flash Thompson that's a jock. That yeah, 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 they're very, sty- they're very stylized versions of these characters. Very oh, specific. Yeah. There's nothing generic about uh, them. Absolutely. Tony Revolori that we actually talked about two weeks ago, because I never knew he played Flash Thompson in these movies. Um, he is not what anybody would think if they know anything about Flash Thompson. I was even kind of shocked that, you know, he shows up in the first movie, Homecoming, and Tony Revolori's, you know, he's the, the rich snob kid who's making fun of Peter Parker. And then they're all just on the academic decathlon team because he has to be in the movie more and that type of thing. And I don't know. I, I, it, felt, it felt really forced for me, the whole bullying aspect. Like, it started off good, but then putting him on the academic decathlon team along with Mary or MJ, she's not Mary Jane, MJ is and I in this movie. I was all like, okay, they just didn't want his bully to leave him, that type of thing. And and I thought that was a little forced, but I get that he needs a bully throughout. Uh and also we if that didn't happen, we wouldn't get that great line. Uh Tony Revolori saying, I know when Branzino's fresh, and that was not fresh. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's that's a reference to the Andrew Garfield movies, right? Like um, from from what at least six IMDb trivia facts will tell you, yes, it's a reference to the, the dinner scene with the Branzino. <laughs> Which I, I thought that was like, I guess, kind of a cute way to reference that those movies existed. Yeah, it's a nice little head nod. I, I was not against that, absolutely, at, at, at all. Tony Revolori's fine, though. We got to talk about Zendaya. I mean... Well, okay, so I, yeah. can we talk about the fact that Tony Revolori looks like the child of one of the people in the Andrew Garfield movies? Like there's that dude in the in the limousine when and the lizards trying to attack him, 
and like he they look like they're related <laughs> oh okay okay i don't i mean obviously they're probably not but I don't, I, I don't even remember his name or if he's an important character. Sure. If he's in a limo. <laughs> I did not pick up on this. Maybe I'll have to do a um, a side-by-side image to put in the show notes. Um, but I'll have to look into that, Ben. I, that did not catch my attention. <laughs> well, and I've only – I mean I've only seen them not on screen together. So maybe they don't look that similar when they're actually next to each other. Sure. But sure. just from like this the small amount of time I saw them, I was like, that's that looks like just like Flash Thompson. <laughs> I, I will have to look into that, Ben. I didn't catch that at all. Before I talk about Zendaya, just MJ in general, in the first movie, I don't know, did you guys get what I got? The vibes when she says, oh, call me MJ at the end of the first movie is exactly the same thing that Joseph Gordon-Levitt does in The Dark Knight Rises when he's revealed to be Robin. Isn't it isn't almost the same exact scene? Because I, I think, I, I didn't write it down exactly, so, you know, uh, feel free to correct me, but isn't it something like, you know, oh, Zendaya's character is Michelle, and she goes, call me MJ, or something like that, right at the end of the movie, right? Uh, this sounds right. I, I don't remember well, yeah, the details, but... Well, okay, it's, it's that cute little, like, wink at the audience. Yes, yes. Um, it, it's the Robin that... thing from Dark Knight Rises, where he goes, you know, yeah, my name is uh, not Robin, not the boy Wonder, and they go, eh, that's not appearing in here. He goes, oh, maybe try Robin the boy Wonder, and it's just like... <laughs> Nobody cares about that. Like, like, we get it, you know? Like, if he was supposed to be Robin, everybody who has two brain cells picked that up the whole movie. They didn't need, need some, like, convoluted series of events to tell you that they're Robin. And I felt you the know, MJ thing know, was the same way. You know, okay, okay. I don't want this to become a Dark Knight Rises conversation, <laughs> but, like, I'll always find that, like, like bit hilarious at the end of that film. Because his name isn't goddamn Robin. His name's Dick Grayson. I'm like... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The, yeah, his name is actually Robin in in that, right? Like yeah, the, yeah. It's like yeah, that's, that's the fun thing about. I guess I kind of like that ending of again. I like the Dark Knight Rises, like blemishes and all, but like I love it at the end. Where you're like you should use your your like what what she say like your your legal name more often, Robin. And like it's not in such like an afterthought. I swear to God, they ADR'd it. I yeah. swear to God, oh, yeah. go, like, go take a leak one day and like a studio exec just like quick somebody get like get 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 the secretary and have her record this quick. No one will notice. <laughs> I mean, but they should have had his name be Dick Grayson or but any that, of the other Robins. But then you can't. Then you can't have the cute little reveal at the exactly. end. Exactly. That, that's what I think they were. They wanted that. They that want to have their cake and eat too, Ben. Yeah. And, and, what and teaser that, whole, is that? The, the, that he was Robin, and that he or he was Dick Grayson. He might pick up the mantle later on. It's the it's the the oh. fan service, but. But we, I think we all have to remember the scene is so fucking convoluted because at the end of the movie, uh, what, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has to go because he's, he's part of the police force or something, and he has to go and actually deal with the bureaucracy of, like, Gotham coming back together as a society and as, like, a structured society type of thing. And so he shows up, and he gives him a name that is not his legal name. And the, the administrator goes, oh, you should try your real fucking name. The scene is so forced into the movie. It's wild. <laughs> like, if you're a cop and you're like, oh, I gotta go pick up my paycheck, you're not gonna give him your nickname. You're gonna give him your actual name. And then when the woman asks for his actual name, he doesn't say it. He hands her his ID. Like, the movie is trying so hard to obfuscate that he's like, oh, I like the name Robin. It's it's offensive. I hate that part of the Dark Knight Rises sack. <laughs> Which well, I like for the most part, uh, to be honest. I, I mean, I also hated it but i hated it from the standpoint of like robin's name has never been robin yeah well yeah that too. <laughs> like robin's name was robin because he was a circus performer and yep. that was his like trapeze artist name yes 
Absolutely. Jason the, Todd? Jason Todd is a Robin, yes. That's not the circus one. He is a Robin. <laughs> Jason Todd, is, I think, is the street thug that Batman takes in because he stole Batman's tires, if, if I remember right. I just know that Chris O'Donnell at one point swooped in like a Robin off screen in the Joel Schumacher movie, Batman Forever, and that's why he's called Robin. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it depends on, on the continuity you're looking at yeah. but 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 still i mean th- this scream this mj thing screamed to me this same contrived inclusion of a of a fan service nod to the audience which like, i kind of get honestly i mentioned before i knew a lot about homecoming going into it with cultural osmosis i thought she was playing mary jane i honestly thought that when i start watching the movie of course i realize that's not the case but from all the memes and images and people talking to me about the mcu i thought zendaya was just straight up mary jane but she's just this proto mary jane i guess who cares she has well, no thing. character anyway that's the, what i want to segue well, into she has no personality but this is the weird thing in the first film she's playing like like baby woke anarchist which is like this like weird like contrarian and then in the second film like it's not even the same character she's comp- like that character has nothing in common with the one from like the previous film i i i wouldn't even give it as much as you know the the anti uh however you, de- you described it with some very eloquent words i saw Baby zendaya's character yeah i saw zendaya's character as lol so quirky girl like, that's all her personality is, is that anytime she has to be in a scene, she just says something that's, you know, like, oh, wow, isn't it weird that a girl would say that? And I thought that carried over to the second movie. I mean, in the first movie, she's non-existent, I think. In the second movie, she becomes more of a of a She, a she protests. She, in the... <laughs> she says she protests, right? Oh, that's right. He's <laughs> protesting is patriotic. That whole thing where she's like, you know, we're going to the Washington Monument, and what do we know about the Washington Monument? It was built by slaves... Uh, and the movie like tries to have this little weird moment, and it's like, what? What does this matter at all? Rob, Rob, maybe uh, John Watts, uh, maybe watch a certain Wonder Shows in no, where no, <laughs> John Watts does not know what Wonder Shows in is, and if he ever saw it, he probably turned it off and contacted his congressman. <laughs> <laughs> Who built the pyramids, Rob? Slaves. <laughs> they built everything. Slaves. Um, but Slaves built the pyramids. Slaves built the Parthenon. Slaves built America. Slaves. This is your song. Thank you. Slaves. Thank you. Slaves. Thank you. Slaves. This is your song, thank you. But no, I mean, I, I saw no characterization in, in MJ, in Zendaya's character, at all. Like, in the first movie, she's a placeholder for the tease that she's MJ at the end. In the, in the second movie, she's the love interest. I'm kind of glad that she gets, you know, she gets put in the forefront so we can sideline Ned, and Ned is a lot less annoying in the second movie. But in the second movie, then, she's just, like... So bland and empty. She's there just to be like the the reflection for Spider Man and things like that. I don't know. I I saw no value to her as a as a female character in any way, shape, or form. So in in the second movie, her whole personality is that she likes dark things. Yes. Like it's like oh the Black Dahlia murder, 
Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I wouldn't. I mean, she, she's like a, a very like one dimensional high schooler who hasn't really figured out who they are, and then the fact that Peter Parker likes her doesn't really make a ton of sense because we've not gotten any indication that Peter Parker is interested in dark stuff. He's, yeah, yeah, just likes this so, girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He yeah, so I I don't know that that I I can get on board with like that she was kind of a, a strange and I'm I'm with you Ben when like that you're right saying that she likes this dark stuff you know I would say even in the first movie as well when she's saying things you know she's being very um you know anti or contrarian and things of that nature but that's what I see as just the oh lol so quirky like she's basically just like a meme type of thing like mm-hmm. wouldn't it be funny if somebody said the total opposite of what everybody was thinking like who would go to DC and be like Okay, kids, we're going to the Washington Monument. Raises her hand. That was built by slaves. Like, who would do that? You know, that's a very movie contrived personality to me. And I wish we got something fleshed out. I don't. I don't. I don't. I could. That felt like that's the thing, though. Is that like I remember? Like, obviously, we've talked about a lot. Like, again, this came out in 2017. But like the younger generations trying to be like edgy and woke. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. So I I was just about to bring up the same thing, Rob. Like, you, you know, some of the people we interacted with in Athens. You're telling me that someone who shall not be named wouldn't just be like, oh, but that was slavery. Oh, no, no, like, no. Don't don't get me wrong. I totally believe that. Uh, those are people that I, de- I have dealt with in real life that I dislike. And when I deal with them in movies, I also dislike. I'm not saying this character is sure. unreasonable. It is grating okay. to me that they are so one-dimensional in that way. Okay, I, I thought you were suggesting that she wasn't realistic. Um, oh, no, so no, I... you're absolutely right. I'm glad, Ben, you said he who should not be named because we could tell the story of you know someone coming into a room of people and starting to talk about the last time they get pulled over for cops just to say their race, basically. No, yeah, they exist, and they bother me in every way, shape, and form. <laughs> Hello, fellow white people. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. No, no, so it's not unrealistic. It's just I, I want more dimensionality from my love interest character because I think that's a big problem I had with Le- from last week. Gwen Stacy is so one-dimensional, but they focus so much on that love story that it bothers me. Here, I think uh, MJ, Zendaya, is one-dimensional, and then they don't focus on the love story as much that it comes off as more annoying to me, that it's almost an afterthought in, this, in these movies. M- more so the first one, of course. But that's the weird thing, is that, like, she doesn't, like, even in the second movie, like, maybe this is the thing where it's, like, it feels like my opinion on, like, the romance and Attack of the Clones, where I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's how an awkward 20-year-old <laughs> male who's, like, celibate would, like, behave around, like, a pretty woman. Sure. Um, Like, his, like, like, Tom Holland's relationship with Zendaya in these movies, like, not that it makes sense, but, like, it's weird, because, like, we're so used to, like, the Peter, Mary Jane of, like, Raimi Spider-Man, where, like, it feels so larger than life, it's yeah. very grandiose, so to see it so like oh god like small like like relatively small that is it feels almost like hollow but I don't think that's the movie's fault I think that's more just me as the audience because like I again I think the romance works but like it doesn't feel like they have any chemistry when they're together ah uh, yeah I a hundred percent I'm with you there no chemistry at all and I think that's because Zendaya is playing it like she's on 
like, like uh, sedatives or Valium or something. She's so reserved in her scenes. Well, this is well, this is something I want to ask you guys. Like, I remember the first time I was ever like introduced to Zendaya and Rob's gonna like eat this up <laughs> is through the Disney Channel TV show Shake It Up, which is about people dancing on like like a Chicago TV show. Perfect. Like, imagine like America American Bandstand. It, um, I think so- I think Zach, whatever name you just said, you came up with uh, the Disney Channel show you're referring to was called People Dance for. Zach. <laughs> it was a that, that show made good. just for Zach. <laughs> but there's the thing. Like, I remember her from that. It was like her and Bella Thorne. Yes. And then like Bella Thorne, like when all, I went Miley Cyrus, like root, I just went bonkers. And then like, but Zendaya like stayed on the Disney channel and then like started like built, like I think she had like a very brief music career for a while. Yep. Oh yeah. And then like, she became like, Oh God. Hollywood, like teenage royalty. She's in that like spy show, right? In on, she's on a, Disney Channel. She, a yeah. Disney Channel spy show. That's when I yeah. first heard about her. Yeah, and that's the thing. But like, like Zendaya has never proved her worth, other than like the media has told us to like her. Like, not that she's bad. I don't think she's ever been bad in anything. It's more just like she's doing what she's told, which doesn't really benefit her. Ideally, yes. yeah, we've been told to like her, mm-hmm. and that's why, like, like, whether it be these movies or Dune, it's like she's there solely because, like, the market research has told the producers if you plug her in at this element, you will get X response from the audience. Yeah, I actually like my first interaction with with Zendaya that I remember is from The Greatest Showman, which is that, that too. There you go. Oh, I yeah, forgot about that's that. Right? Yeah, me too. That's what I mean, though. Like, but isn't she Zac Efron's love interest in that? Yeah. yeah. But, like, okay, I've never seen that, Ben, so have you seen that, Rob? No, no. um, My my question for Ben, if he has any recollection of it, uh, does Zendaya emote in that movie? (laughs) Does she show emotions? Oh, gee, so that's just her shtick, I guess. That's what I was going to ask, because I don't, like, she's she's a little bit like a blank slate. Yeah, Um, yeah. and, and, And that might even be... Uh, the whole this person's so generic that you can paint yourself onto them for the teenage girl crowd. I, I'm sure you guys are familiar with that as a thing. <laughs> I could I could see that from the Spider-Man perspective of like trying to get the like the girls in the audience go like, don't you want to fuck Spider-Man? You know that type of Basically, thing. Basically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, we, we can't deny that that's an element of all of these movies, that people are into the masked, uh, the hero of New York, you know? Well, that's their classic, classic, classic. Like, like, dial this back. Because I know, like, when like when uh, Far From Home came out, like, I had, like, teenage family members that, like, went to go see this. Like, had, were never into Marvel stuff mm-hmm. and went to see this because of, like, the Tom Holland thing. Was the, like, Andrew Garfield, we all know, was attractive, like, ten years ago. Like, really, was like, like it was a heartthrob. Like I know, I know I was too young, but do either of you remember Tobey Maguire being seen as a sex symbol in the early two thousands? No, not at all. I think I think I was too young as well. And we mentioned it in that episode, uh, him being a member of the Pussy Posse. That was before oh, yeah. our time. Yep. <laughs> but that's what I mean, though. Like, but like that was because he was in, like he was part of that crowd. Yeah. yeah. But, like when it came to like pop culture, was he? I don't think Tobey Maguire was ever a sex symbol, though. Not that I can remember at all. Well, and and Tom Holland was basically a nobody before he was Spider Man. Yeah. Well, he no, yeah. he was he was in that movie with oh god, the Impossible, the flood, like the uh, what was it, the Indonesian tsunami movie. Yeah, he was in stuff, but he never, he didn't pop until the the Marvel uh, the MCU stuff. Well, he was, like, but he, he, he he popped he popped in the right crowds. Like he like obviously becoming Spider Man puts you on a whole new level. Sure, it's like being yeah. James Bond, uh, but. 
like I said, he was around though. Like he was a name. Like if you if you were aware of like, because I remember like when like oh god before he was cast. This was like 2015. It was like it was him. Oh god, Asa Butterfield. Yes, D- yes. Dylan O'Brien. Is that his name? The guy from the Maze Runner movies. Yep, yep. He was in in talks. Uh, he just showed up at an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm this season. <laughs> I was. I, being, I had to look this up. In the heart of the sea was the move, the Ron Howard movie he's in that I couldn't remember the title of, but he was in that. I'm sure he got some notoriety from being in a Ron Howard movie. Dylan O'Brien or Tom Holland? Tom Holland. Sorry, Tom Holland. Well, that was like 2017. That was like after this, wasn't it? Uh, like 20, after Homecoming. No, 2015. He's okay. he's uh he's in he's in a Ron Howard movie before he's in Civil War. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, it was the idea. Like, and, and it was the idea that he was more of like not the dark horse but like apparently from what i remember was sony really wanted him and marvel wanted somebody else i forget who marvel wanted. i think they were both british actors yes and and, and sony's the one that really leaned into tom holland and marvel was like kind of like okay like technically it's their property they can do like like we can obviously like voice our opinions but like it's their decision we really don't have any objections to him that was that was the narrative back in 2015 well mm-hmm. in the thing I'm aware of is that Chris Hemsworth helped him land the role. Ooh, okay. I, not, I never heard that, yeah, but I, based yeah, on him being in the heart, of the, the heart of the sea, I could see that. Sure, sure, just to connect them. Yeah, some, something like that. Um, I, I was looking into that I know that um, Tom Holland had done some theater uh, previously, so he had that dance background, and Marvel loves to pick up dancers so they can do their fight scenes in a reasonable amount of time. But but Ben, oh, if, do you have any more information on the um the the Hemsworth thing with with Tom Holland? Well, just so uh, this is from NikkiSwift.com. I, I I've heard it from elsewhere, but this is just the thing that came up when I searched it. Sure. Thor confessed in 2019 ET interview that he helped Holland land the role of Spider Man. Uh, we worked on In the Heart of the Sea together, obviously, then through Avengers, and as they were casting him for Spider-Man, I did what I could do and made a call, Hemsworth told E.T. He's one of the most talented people I've worked with, and has such a big heart and appreciation. We have a great friendship. It's a good mutual respect. Well, right on. Okay, good for good for them. I mean, good good for um, Tom Holland. Of course, Hemsworth at that point is is well off to the races with his career. So, okay, right on. <laughs> yeah, So so apparently... Hemsworth really like working with him in Heart of the Sea, and there we go. Okay, yeah. I mean, I have, like I said earlier, my problems with Tom Holland or with him as an actor, because I don't believe him as an adult, you know, um, which they're clearly going to try and, you know, make us when he's he's going to play Nathan Drake in the Uncharted movie, which is fucking weird to me. But, I mean, after the, the Spider-Man stuff... I, I know. I think you told me you saw it, Zach. Chaos Walking, him and Daisy oh, Ridley. Oh God, yeah. That, oh God. From what I know, that movie was like a travesty. Is that right? Uh, the rumor. I, oh God, that's why I wanted to see that movie because, like, the rumor for how many years was like it was literally unwatchable. Like that's how like it was like unreleasable. <laughs> yeah, that was the rumor. Um, it's it's generic YA nonsense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he he does the exact same thing he does in Spider Man here, where he's just the. Uh, I, it almost reminds me of like a blending of uh, his Peter Parker in the Jacob Tremblay thing of uh, uh there's the, 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 the girl. Uh, like okay. he has like that like like that nervous like like jitter. Um, that's very, very off-putting, and Daisy really just kind of like does that thing where she stares into the void. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember that trailer coming out, and everybody making fun of Daisy Ridley looking into the camera type of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the worst type of cinema. It's forgettable. 
Like I'll, I can't, I couldn't tell you a single thing about that movie. Okay, okay, that's fair. I've never seen it. Ben, have you seen Chaos Walking, the movie where um, whenever men have thoughts, they are portrayed for the rest of the world to see them, but for women, this does not happen. Is that the basic premise, Zach? Am I right about that? More or less. Okay. Have you oh, seen- I. I- I wanted to see it, but I have not. Okay, okay. That's like one of – I remember that being like Tom Holland there saying – I think this uh, – Chaos Walking and Cherry were the two movies where they're like, look what these superheroes can do, you know, outside of the superhero genre, that type of thing. And, of course, because Daisy Ridley being from Star Wars, she's in Chaos Walking as well. And it turns out nobody cares about those movies because they just want to see lightsabers and spider webs. They don't want to see heady sci-fi dramas with people we know as other things. So – I don't I don't think I'll ever watch that movie. Before we, we get off of Zendaya, uh, or Zendaya, which brings me to my bigger point, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm sure we could look it up. But let's call on the rule that if Zendaya or Zendaya hears this, she has to come on the podcast to, to correct us. Zach, and I think Ben, if he remembers, they know that I'm aware of Zendaya because of Euphoria, the HBO show. If If Zendaya ever came on this podcast... Based off of, you know, the uh, the call to action I just gave her about telling us how to pronounce her name. The first question I would ask her, well, second. First question would be like, well, how do you pronounce your name? Second question, I swear, would be, what was it like to work with Sydney Sweeney? <laughs> <laughs> I have zero interest in Zendaya as an actress, but Sydney Sweeney on Euphoria, give me those deets. I just had to get that out there. I don't think I had anything else about Zendaya, but I have to mention she's worked with Sydney Sweeney and got to love her for that. She's one degree away from Sydney Sweeney. <laughs> um, some other just quick moments I wanted to, or quick characters I wanted to mention. I did not realize this until I looked it up afterwards. The voice of Karen, the AI in the spider suit in Homecoming. Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. Good for Jennifer Connelly getting back you know into the why? MCU after Dude, the Ang Lee Hulk movie. Do you Good know, for do you her. Know why, do you know why they? Why it was Jennifer Connelly? Who is she married to? Oh God, I I know who she's married to. <laughs> oh, this is one of the things I know, but I try to repress because uh, if she's ever single, she should hit me up. Oh God. Um. <laughs> no, remind me, Zach. I knew this like a, like Paul three days Bettany. ago. I swear, Paul. That's Paul right. Bettany, okay. Who yep. was the original voice of? Jarvis? Jarvis. Yes. Yep. yep. There you go, because everything is connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once I read that it was Jennifer Connelly doing the voice, I have to admit to everybody, you know, Ben and Zach and the Sidham audience, I was kind of tempted to be like, man, I should go back and watch the Ang Lee Hulk movie again. It is so rare for me to say out of my own free will, maybe I should check out a superhero movie. Ben, have you seen the Ang Lee Hulk movie? So 2003, the the one where Eric Bana plays the Hulk and um, Sam Elliott is Thunderbolt Ross and he's fighting like Hulk poodles and stuff like that. It, it's it's stylized with like comic book panels that are really disorienting. Does this, is this ringing a bell? Yeah, I, I remember watching it at the drive-in theater in my oh, hometown okay. and the screen was so dark that you couldn't tell what was going on most of the time. <laughs> Okay, okay. That might be something, the only way you guys are ever going to get me to talk about a superhero movie again, you know, whether, not a fan request or something that fits into a series, I could probably be convinced to watch the Ang Lee Hulk again, because that movie is wild, and they will never let anybody make anything like that ever again in the history of the universe. Um, But that was great. Jennifer Connelly um, was good to hear. Logan Marshall Green shows up as the original Shocker, but Michael Keaton kills him off, so he gives the Shocker glove to Bakeem Woodbine. I thought those were great to see. 
I'm trying to think if there's anybody else I wanted to mention, other small moments. I, I guess the last one would be a good old childish Gambino, Ben, Donald Glover. We have to talk yeah. about him. Here's my thing. I, I know from what I've read that he was included as some character who's supposed to be the uncle of Miles Morales or something. There's some in-universe canon of who he's supposed to be. But just in terms of performance... We get, what, two scenes with him. One, he's just, like, buying guns from the Vulture. It's real quick near the beginning. But we get a second scene where Spider-Man, you know, uh, interrogates him. He webs his hand to the trunk of the car and then asks him for information. I thought Donald Glover was so checked out in that scene. Like, he seemed just like Zendaya. I thought he was on, like, you know, sedatives. He was just, like, mumbling through his words. When I really wanted some, like, moment, I wanted it to be like another Hannibal Burris or J.B. Smoove. Like, I wanted Donald Glover to give some oomph to that. And it was really just like, no, I gotta give some exposition. And then my one joke is, you know, like, can you let me free of the web? And Spider-Man's like, it'll be two hours, it's fine. Or whatever the last button is. I don't know, what um, do you, you think about Donald Glover in that, in that appearance, Ben? Well, he, I mean, he's checked out... Is it- he is checked out. Uh, I was definitely getting the impression like he's supposed to be like a, a kind of low life criminal. Yes. And Miles Morales' uncle is also a criminal, so that that does check out that it, that that could be what they're going for. Uh, but I definitely was was getting the impression that he was like supposed to be on drugs. It definitely comes across that way. You're not wrong. <laughs> so like, I, like he was in a K hole or something. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you have loved a line of, of, of Childish Gambino saying something like, Spider-Man, I can't deal with this shit. I just did a whole bottle of purple drank or something like that, you know? <laughs> the codeine's yeah. hitting me, Spider-Man. I don't want to deal with your bullshit, you know, something like that. But no, he's just very reserved, and I thought it was kind of like a wasted moment. They could have had a lot more, like, back and forth, like quippiness, you know? Well, I mean, they had a little bit where he's just like, you're not very good at this, like that kind of thing. But yeah. you're right that it could have... They could have taken it further. Maybe you're right in the sense that the direction was like, oh, Donald Glover, you are this criminal. You're, you know, clearly up to something. Whether I'm not saying, you know, the drugs had to be an impact, but it seemed like John Watts just gave Donald Glover. It was like, hey, you know, we got you in this scene. Just do something. Like, it seemed like they just gave him an improv moment, and it doesn't hit as well as it could if they really refined it. uh, To to be completely honest, if it was an improv moment, it would have been better. Donald Glover is not somebody who is just going to phone it in for an improv moment. A hundred percent. I've seen him do freestyle live before, and it's amazing. So he yeah, has so that it, creativity. You're right. You're right about that. So it, this was definitely directed uh, to be this way. And, I, you know, whether that was a good decision or not, it definitely wasn't. Sure. Because Donald Glover has so much more to offer. Uh, but I don't think that he owns any of the fault for this performance. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I could, I, I totally know where you're coming from. Other than that, I think through both movies, those are all the characters I wanted to mention. Uh, I know we talked, actually, should throw this in here. Um, we talked about him before, Samuel Jackson, who's not Nick Fury in the second movie, it seems. But I, another great chuckle moment where, you know, Tom Holland as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man doesn't want to deal with this Nick Fury stuff. And uh, he's trying to give excuses to Nick Fury about why he can't do this mission. And Nick Fury, one of Nick Fury's responses is, bitch, please, you've been to space. (laughs) That was an accident. (laughs) Yes, I I thought that back and forth was great. You're coming with us. I'm sorry, did you say Prague? (laughs) Mr. Fury, this all seems like big time. You know, huge superhero kind of stuff. And 
I mean, I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, sir. Bitch, please, you've been to space. I know, but that was an accident, sir. Come on, there's gotta be someone else you can use. And that's where I'm like, this is good fun. Like, if you're gonna give me comedy moments, at least make them in-universe. Don't make them stupid sight gags about a teacher dropping a camera or, you know, some, some montage of kids getting into kooky trouble on their high school trip. Make oh it with characters that I know. Like, have Samuel Jackson say, bitch, please, you've been to space. Have the knowledge we have as the audience members come into arguments between our main characters. Why is that so hard to ask, ask for? Sure. Why is it so hard to do it so densely? Because they do it so well, sparingly. Uh, and just, you know, you mentioned the Eternals earlier. There's this joke. The joke is not the right word for what it is, but that's how they try to play it in the commercial where he's like, this table's probably made out of vibranium. Oh, yeah. And the yeah. guy's like, fall collection, Ikea. Yep. Like, it's just like this long pause. And you're like, why? And, of course, everyone in the in the, the audience, you know, because I saw this at, at a commercial at a theater, mm -hmm. everyone in the audience laughs. I'm like, this is not a joke. Yep, exactly, exactly. And But you're right, but that's that's what I was saying, the, the marvelitis of these things. They're, they're throwing yeah. it. They're not even, maybe to continue that part, they're not even, in air quotes, jokes anymore. I mean, they're, they've gotten to this saturation point of including things that are so tonally different from the action or the emotion that we've been seeing that it almost, uh, like, provokes us to laugh. Because we have no other way to handle it. I mean, that happened in um, when I was watching the, uh, the Spider-Man scenes in Civil War for this recording. You know, I watched that airplane hangar fight. There's a moment in that airplane hangar fight when what, like, you know, they... Uh, um, not Hawkeye. Uh, the, Anthony Mackie, the flying guy. Falcon. Falcon, like, gets Spider-Man away from him, and there's a moment when, like, Bucky says, like, you couldn't have done that sooner, and then there's just, like, one, two, three, four, five moments, like, way too many bloated moments that pass, and Anthony Mackie goes, I hate you, and it's like, is this funny, or is it just so tonally different that we're confused how to react to it as an audience? And that's, that's an interesting question. Yeah, and so like what you were saying, the Ikea thing. I've seen that trailer too, Ben. I don't think that's funny either. It's almost like the moment you hear that character start speaking, he goes, this table is made out of, you know the rest of the scene. You know the joke. You know the responses. Yes. And the only yeah. way they can play with that is by making it take longer. So what's yeah. the, is it actually funny? Or have they conditioned us to react a certain way to pauses in, in the momentum of the film? And I, I kind of think both are bad, but there is a difference between those two things. Sure, in, and, and in I the, definitely think you're on something. In the Eternals defense, that might be the only joke in the movie. <laughs> they need the they need to plug in some levities. They took what they could. Like I don't like. I agree with you. The line is garbage. But I don't blame the marketing department. I don't know. I am fully expecting in the Eternals someone to say they're going to take that moment from the trailer that I hate, where they're like, "Why didn't you help us with Thanos or the Holocaust or World War One?" They don't say Holocaust and World War One, but you know, you guys know what I mean. And I'm expecting in the actual movie when that question gets asked, like Angelina jo Jolie is going to say like. I had a dentist appointment. And it's going to be fucking <laughs> stupid. It's going to be so stupid, but people are going to lose their minds in the theater and nobody's going to hear the next six minutes of dialogue because they're laughing so much. But I don't think it's a laughter response. I think it's a, oh, they, they need us to respond. It's like Marvel movies have become just the, um, the sitcom audience like light thing that says applause and it's illuminated or not. Like They know when to tell us when to applaud and we're just all eating it up. I don't know about all of us, but... Fair, fair. And like yes. I said, I, I like these movies in spite of these things, yes, not because yeah. of them. But, but yeah, I, I'm definitely with you, where they've they they've kind of abused this, and, and they're using um, 
It, it, so Dean Koontz does it to great effect where he uses things that are like out of the norm to make you feel very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the human responses to discomfort is laughter. Uh, and that's, I think that's what you're getting at is like, they're just like, they're going so far outside of what we are expecting tonally that it, that our response, our response can be like one of two things, which is to be really uncomfortable or to laugh. Yes. And we yes. choose to laugh uh, as opposed to it actually being funny or like substantive. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it's, it's hitting a formula that is, you know, drawing out reactions from the audience and, and I guess maybe, you know, to, to summarize, like, once again, the, the inherent thing I dislike about that is that writing these movies become writing exercises. Like, I know you and I talked about it years ago, Ben, but we, we once brainstormed it would be like, wouldn't it be neat if, like, in, you were in a writing class and it was like, you know, your assignment is write an episode of Family Guy or write an episode of Law and Order. Those things are so well-known and so formulaic that anybody could do that. You know, Family Guy. It's like, okay, I need these cutaway jokes. I need A line, A plot line, B plot line, that type of stuff. It's a screenwriting exercise. Marvel right. movies have now become that too, where you might have a script and they go, you know, okay, we've hit this many words, need a joke. Hit this many words, need a joke. It's become so formulaic that you could give it as a writing exercise to a first-year film student, and you'd probably get stuff on par with what we're getting in the theaters. And I don't know. I think that's an issue. I don't, I don't think that's fostering creativity. That's leading to repetition and getting in a rut that is creating the same movie over and over and over which is my big problem with the MCU. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. Um, that is definitely... It, it could definitely be a year one writing exercise. Mm-hmm. Write a scene from a Marvel movie. Yes, um, yes, exactly. You're going to have to get to, like, year three before you're writing the whole thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, and and you, you also have to know, that's a good point, Ben. Maybe you, you can totally imagine, I think anybody could, a first-year student doing this, writing, like, a scene of a Marvel movie, and their teacher grades it, and it comes back to them and says, like, eh, you went six minutes without a joke. Some points off, you know? It's like you are not there, – there's a clearly a rubric that someone would have to follow. It's become so formulaic. Right. That is definitely definitely the vibe that these yeah. movies have. It's the strangest thing to me, you know? I, I, it's, I don't like it, but it's just wild to think about. Well, and that's one thing I can say. Um, Shang-Chi doesn't deviate from this entirely, but it it does deviate from a lot of the, the formulas. Okay, uh, okay. And that's one of the things that I that I like about it. it. It's it feels original for the Marvel universe, despite having elements from the Marvel universe in it. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um, I, 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 just to get on this this tangent, this is something I think you guys mentioned to me briefly, and I've read about it more. They retcon the uh, Iron Man three Mandarin in Shang Chi. Is that true? Uh, I don't know that that is necessarily a retcon, but they they do say that like the Mandarin is a name so basically what they say is shang chi's dad is this villain who has been given many names throughout history okay and the mandarin is one of them and then the fake mandarin is somebody pretending to be him okay so i don't i don't I know that it's fine. necessarily retcon it, it, it's not yeah so not much ret, not so much retcon it's more of an explanation of the events yeah. previously okay okay that's that's fair i don't know i still think guy pierce is the mandarin he says that in iron man 3 he says i am the mandarin right zach you said you wanted the Mandarin. You're looking right at him. Who's always me, Tony. Right from the start. I am the Mandarin! I am the Mandarin! I am the Mandarin! Tony, you've been looking for the Mandarin. I am the Mandarin! Love that clip. Okay. I think with Donald Glover out of the way, and I think I've said my 
part on the MCU. I don't know. Any other moments, characters we missed? What do you guys want to dive into with um, with Spider-Man here? I, I don't know if there's a ton to dive into, but I, I do want to mention that in terms of movement of the Spider-Man character, th- these movies do do better than I think any of the other ones have done, where you get, like, Spider-Man, like, jumping in and around things and, you know, slinging his web mm. and then going through something and, and like you get a little bit of his foresight in the in the fight with the the drones and he like puts a web bridge across these two things and then flies over and comes around the other side and uses that as like a, a slingshot to shoot him down faster like we we get like yes. a lot of very what i would call spider-man e movements where we don't get so much of that with Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Yeah, I, I'm I'm actually with you. I think the um the big thing or in some of the action moments, the Spider-Man action moments in these two movies, it gave me or made me think of when we talked about the first Sandman fight in Spider-Man Three from Sam Raimi, where you know Spider-Man was off of his toes. I still love that scene when he tries to escape the Sandman, so he swings around the bus and swings right into another bus. Like that's awesome. And right. I'm with you, Ben. In in these movies, specifically Far From Home, I kind of love the moment in the drone fight when he gets caught on fire, so he swings himself just to touch the water and put himself out. And I'm like, why can't these movies just be two hours of that cool shit, you know? Like, why do I have to wait an hour 45 to get to something that neat? Sure, and yeah, like that's that's definitely one of the things that I think these movies really nailed, is like his movements are very, it's just what I want from Spider-Man. Sure. He is using his his webs. He's using his like quick reflexes to to his advantage very well in these fights. And yeah, I, yeah, I and really appreciate that. That was great to watch. On I think for me on the level that you're explaining, but I also kind of thought this was not something that I d- dove into. And uh, there's probably a Reddit post about this somewhere. But how many times does Tom Holland's Spider Man punch villains? I know he does it once because he punches Mysterio and breaks the fishbowl helmet at the end of the second movie. But can you guys actually think of one moment other than that where he punches a villain? There's a lot of motion and webbing. There's a lot of actual tactility to Spider-Man. It's not just the Marvel thing of like, oh, I need to beat you up now. Do you guys know what I'm saying? I, I didn't pick up on a lot of punches, period, which I thought was surprising. Yeah, he does a, he does a lot of, like, catching you with a web and pulling you in this or that direction. Yeah, yeah, or like, yeah. Yeah, he, he definitely not so much punching. And and that's, again, that's the Spider-Man I want to see. Like, I'm not interested in Spider-Man because he's strong. Mm-hmm. I'm interested mm-hmm. in Spider-Man because he's flexible and fast. And he can, like, move in ways that people can't move. Yeah, that's what, and that's that's what I was saying before, agreeing with what you said also earlier before, is that like that's why a lot of this stuff with Tom Holland as Spider-Man is interesting. Like, I know I said last week the Andrew Garfield was seriously lacking in action, and then when the action finally happened, it, would, it was bogged down in slow motion for half of it, bogged down in CGI nonsense. Here, in these two movies... There is CGI nonsense, and I I will admit that in that drone fight at the end of Far From Home, there were swaths of time I had no fucking idea what I was looking at because it was so fast-paced. But when you get a clear establishment of like, oh, here's the enemy, Spider-Man's going to use his powers to beat it, it's so fulfilling. And I'm so glad that it's not just like, oh, I need to punch this dude. And then, to be honest, the one dude he punches, Mysterio... He's the one that gets him back at the end. Like, punching didn't even beat Mysterio. Punching led to him having that video released in the uh, mid-credits scene. So, I don't know. I'm with you, Ben. I really kind of appreciate that. Well, and we even get the scene where he, like, completely relies on his spider sense. 
Yes. Which they Spider insist Tangle. on referring to Spider as Peter, Peter Tangle. Tangle. Oh, God, I hated that. <laughs> yeah, I, I hated that as well. Do you, ben, um, do you know what it actually reminded me of? Every time somebody said Peter Tangle in this movie, it reminded me of The Rock saying, no one's going up my Pintu in the rundown. Do you oh remember that God. scene from not, The Rundown? Not this boy's Pintu. <laughs> not, not, not this boy's Pintu. I was like, oh, no. I was like, please stop this. <laughs> Swim up my what? Your Pintu. It'll swim up your ding-dong, and once it gets in, we can't get it out. Come on! Well, then what? They have to amputate. Not this boy's Pintu. Uh-uh. There's even that when what what uh I think it's in home uh sorry in far from home when they give him the stealth suit they're like how's the suit and he says something like oh, it's a little tight around the web shooter and I was like Ugh, yeah I don't want to think of a 15 year old boy's web shooter <laughs> anything else Ben yeah Ben we're we're at the end of our main Spider Man movies um uh, any other thoughts uh, about comparisons of these these movies in general like uh, what do you think now that you've rewatched them all you know. Uh, is your is your love for Spider-Man diminished or, or revitalized? I guess <laughs> it's definitely not diminished, I, perfect, and perfect. and that's in large part because I don't treat Spider-Man from the movies as Spider-Man the property. I sure, guess. sure. Like I I treat Spider-Man from the movies as however they're portraying the property in this moment. But out of all the movies, I I still have to say like between the first the first trilogy, the Tobey Maguire. Um, and then Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield's a better Spider-Man. Neither of them are a good Peter Parker. Okay. Um, Tom Holland's better in both respects. And he's not perfect, but he's better. Right on. So I, I think that's really, I mean, that's kind of my take on, on these, these Spider-Man uh, no, properties. Per- yeah, perfect, perfect. Um, I, I think I still love me Andrew Garfield the best, but that's biased because I like Andrew Garfield the best as an actor. But I will admit, I, I am, I've come around to Tom Holland. I, I do not see him as a child as much as I used to uh, prior to watching these movies. Zach, what do you think? Uh, you know, Any moments or, or thoughts on these Spider-Man stuff? Because I think I've uh, su- got, exhausted all of my notes. Well, the one thing I, <clears throat> that drove me like back in the day two years ago like nuts about far from home was like it just doesn't feel like what spider-man is and like and the thing that i found the most egregious is that like in that sequence after he has like the fight with mysterio mm-hmm. with all the hallucin oh, i'm sorry illusions not hallucinations and like he gets hit by the train he ends up somewhere in the netherlands and he's like walking through the tulip fields and like he calls up john favreau and he's like, John Favreau, I'm scared and tired. Come pick me up. And then, like, Deus Ex Machina plane shows up. And then, like, and not just that a plane picks him up, he's then able to design a new suit on the plane while ACDC is playing. And I'm just like... Well, that, they're giving us Tony Stark Jr. Well, like, sure. Yeah. But that's fine. That, I, that's, I, I don't disagree with that. Whatever. I, I'm sorry. You're right. But... Peter Parker, and we talked about this a lot, like, in the Rainy episode, that, like, Peter Parker is the kid from Queens who can't catch a break. And in this, he's in trouble, calls up his dead father figure's bodyguard. It's like, come pick me up on the super spy plane. 
And, like, <laughs> automatically, like, he's just rescued. And I'm like, wouldn't it have been great if we actually saw Peter Parker had to fight adversity in these movies? Or, like, wouldn't it be great to see him, like... I, and Zenger and I talked about this in the Zenger's episode. Like, he has to, like, catch a train from, like, the Netherlands. And, like, we see a great sequence of him being, like, in this huge, like, train station somewhere, like, in Poland or maybe, like, Germany. And he's got to, like, swing from different tracks to tracks. And instead, we just literally have him call up John Favreau and John Favreau gives him like a pep talk. I, I'm like, I'm with you. I just found that I, so like that's not like I get it. They're doing their own thing with Spider Man, like to each their own. But like that is not Spider Man. There is no point that people because I remember back when like like this the the oh god the Sony hack with all their emails and there's like a Kevin Feige like email of him like reading the Amazing Spider Man two script because there's a point where they explain that like Richard Parker like invented the spider like the spider's genetic code so only parker blood would be like able to get like these abilities and in that like and this is from an actual like email that was like hacked leak kevin feige says who's again this person that the internet cannot stop stop sucking off he's like this is inherently unrelatable because it defeats the purpose of who peter parker is as a character and a person and then you have this where, like, Peter Parker's in, like, a jam, and he calls a, someone's bodyguard to come pick him up on a private plane. It's like, it just took me out of the movie, and I'm just like, like, I can, I can maybe I'm the asshole here, because it's like, oh, he's a character that has all these fantastic powers. Why can't you accept this? I'm like, that's that's not what this character is. Like, that's not what Spider-Man is at his core. He, he That's the thing. He always has to figure things out through his wits he can't just get like a get me out of jail free card and, and and that's what he does in both of these movies like even with the bodega er, uh owner in the first movie where like like he's partially responsible in that guy's establishment getting blown up and like there's no consequences like that's one thing about these movies that kind of just frustrates me is that peter parker has zero like consequences to his actions he just kind of and maybe that's what they're getting into with the post credit scene of Far From Home that like, oh, now that like J. Jonah Jameson has like blown the lid on like who he is, like like but like that's weird that like it reminded me a lot like rewatching it for this recording, it reminded me a lot of the Venom 2 post credit scene where like it felt like a movie that was just boilerplate to get to the post credit scene. Where like that's where the dramatic weight was for the story going forward, which brings me back to a famous just point that Rob always brings up. It's the like TV show thing now, where like 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 you show starts, nothing happens, and then thirty seconds before commercial, something happens, and that that just continues to happen until the very end. And it's like okay, and then now watch the next episode. Like it, it's it's so serialized in the way that like and I know I kind of just like verbally diarrhea over the audience, <laughs> um, but like yeah, those are two of my biggest things with this movie. Where like it just like it, it felt so disingenuous at times and hollow. Yeah, you did say a lot there, Zach. At the end, I'm glad you mentioned one of my favorite things to say: um, movies and TV shows of the modern era have become old school arcade cabinets. People seem to forget this, but like Pac-Man and Galaga and like, uh, you know, Mario and 
like sh- way old arcade games, they were designed to make you so angry you don't think twice about putting the next quarter in. That was the entire premise of those games. That when you lose and you think it was, oh, I was fucked up, I shouldn't have got eaten by that ghost there, you're just going to put another quarter in without thinking. That's what these movies and TV shows have become. Hour-long TV shows where nothing happens for 59 minutes, but then that last minute, something is so wild, you have to see the next episode. And that's also another form of Marvelitis, I think. But going back to something you said earlier, Zach, about the the tech or the ways out that Spider-Man and Peter Parker has in these movies. I'm in total agreement with you. He is able to get out of some circumstances in true deus ex machina form because he has a phone number or he knows Iron Man in the first movie. That happens. But and it's, it's even worse because Happy historically never answers his calls. Oh, okay. I don't think I knew that. But, <laughs> but it's it's in Homecoming. Like Happy, he's trying to call Happy all the time, and Happy oh, never answers. His sure. Calls. Okay. I, okay. Sure. Sure. But do you think that that was done? They they gave Spider Man an easy out for his his battles, his actual physical battles, because they knew they needed more focus on the coming of age type of story. Like Spider Man can call Happy to pick him up on Super Secret Spy Jet when he's in Holland because he can. But he can't call Happy to figure out how to ask out the girl he likes type of thing. I think that this was a, a an error of the movie trying to say, let's focus more on the human elements where he has to figure it out by his wit, as you said, and let's not make him do that with the fighting elements. Let's make him just have his ways out because they are so indebted to the MCU, which has all these connections already. What do you think? I think it was a runtime issue. Mm, this movie would have been like another hour long if he had to f- wit his way out of everything. You're right. <laughs> but this is the thing, though. Like, okay, but getting back to another sequence, where like another thing that just doesn't make sense about Marvel continuity, like he gets the magic like glasses, mm-hmm. and like okay, like they're on the bus going from point A to B, and he's like, I want to know, like, because the guy who takes a picture of him like in like the bathroom with like like oh, the uh, yeah. the the shield agent. And he's like, I want to see what's on his phone. And it's like, and the glasses are like, what do you want to do, Peter? Target Brad. It's like targeting Brad. And we see like the Death Star up in like space, like <laughs> launch like like a drone. And like it's we have like a five minute sequence of like this drone trying to blow up the bus. And I'm just like, A, why did we need any of this? Like this this feels so antithetical to what Spider-Man is. And then two, I mean, this goes back to like point, Marvel. Con- that's kind of the point, though, isn't it? Like he very much did not actually want to target. Sure, yeah. but like it's the idea. Like it's so just. It goes back to the technology thing. We're like, oh, it's a drone, and it's like, well, why is it a drone? Because drones are popular with the kids these days. Like Rob, I didn't tell you this, but like in the the J.C. Penny like parking lot, like that's abandoned. I saw a guy, like a grown man playing with his drone, like in the parking lot by himself. <laughs> like I swear they just do these things, like in the Marvel things, because like, oh, drones are a popular buzzword with the kids these days. We're gonna plug this element in, and and, and getting back to like the point of like in the film is that like, oh. Why, think about it. The impetus for the entire Marvel thing is like Tony Stark is kidnapped and put into a cave. And then he's like, nope, I don't want to be an arms dealer anymore. Like this is a detriment to like not just my legacy but the mankind as a whole. And then we find out that like 11 years later his company is still producing like technology that has like missiles and like all these weapons. And it's like, well, this doesn't make sense. 
And then, like, the whole idea that, like, I get it, like, Ben. Like, it's it's that notion of, okay, like, oh, he made a mistake. Now he has to clean up after it. But, like, it's it should be smaller scale than that. Like, it should be, like, it just feels so, like, oh, like, bloated. And that's the thing. Like, Peter Parker is such a, a simplistic character. It should be downsized. Well, one, the scene in, in Far From Home where he calls the drone strike on Brad and then has to stop the drone from attacking the bus, probably one of the worst things I've ever seen in a movie, period. It was so unnecessary. Two, I think that the second movie would have been better served if Peter didn't know how strong the magic glasses were before he gave them to Mysterio. Like, I know what they're doing. Like, in the first movie, he gets the spider suit. Ned is a programming genius that figures out how to turn off the training wheels or whatever they're called. And he has to deal with learning this new tech. I'm fine with that. Spider-Man gets new tech, has to learn it. Okay, whatever. They do the same thing in the second movie. He gets new tech. He misuses it, has to learn how to use it. Wouldn't it have been more effective if he gets this new tech, doesn't really understand it, and then just says, it's like, oh, and, and then we just skip all that bus shit. We skip him knowing that it's this big defense system, and he gives it over to Mysterio and not really knowing what it is. So his, his error is twofold. It's not only giving it to a bad guy, the magic sunglasses, but also not understanding what Tony Stark gave him. I thought that it would have lent a character arc better where Spider-Man goes, well, no, I, I have to trust the people, but I also have to understand the people that came before me. But instead they go, oh, we did this in the first movie. He misuses tech from Tony Stark. Got to have another scene of that. And I'm with well, you, Zach. It is wholly but unnecessary. Why would he give it away if he didn't understand what it was? Because like think... part of the reason he gives it away is that he, he feels like it's too big for him. Maybe, but maybe that's all it should be. Maybe it shouldn't be him saying, oh, I accidentally almost killed one of my classmates. Maybe it should just be something with, like, the note that he gets from Tony Stark says, like, this is a global defense system that I'm leaving in your hands. Maybe overwhelm him with pressure or the the, well, the prospect I mean, of pressure. Well, given the situation with Brad, he still has no idea how powerful this thing is. That's true. I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I want to remove that and make it more psychological because the thing with Brad on the bus makes it tangible. He knows that this thing can do drones and can kill anybody he just gives the whim to. I would have kind of liked if he, after the first movie and after the events of Endgame, got these magic sunglasses and kind of went, maybe I should think about this more. Maybe maybe Mr. Stark made uh, gave me this for a reason. Maybe I should be more hesitant with it. Because in the movie, he's just like, Brad's a target. Is Brad a target? Yeah, Brad's a target. Fuck his phone up, you know? And he's, he's just very ready to use this new tech. And I think he should have learned that in the previous Marvel movies to, to be a little more hesitant with using this stuff, if that makes sense. Where he, where he thinks Mysterio is, is more mature and understands what he's using type of thing. I mean, I, I guess I don't necessarily see the distinction in terms of him knowing what it is or not. It's like he can be told what it is or he can see it in action. Okay, exactly right. I want it to be told. I don't want another goofy action scene that has nothing to do with the movie. To, to tell uh, us that. Well, okay, that that's fair, but I don't I don't think that that's super really. I, I guess I don't see it as being related to whether or not he knows what it is. I, it's oh, just, no, that, that's fair. Well, I think we're getting to the same story point, just in slightly different ways. Absolutely. Sure. Okay. So, yeah. So he d don't have the unrelated scene. Sure. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm, I mean, I I was so groaning, and yes, of course, this is a subjective thing, and this is I I, I know some people probably love this scene, but him distract. He goes, "Hey, look at the baby mountain goats." The whole bus looks away from him so he can jump up, shoot the drone, and jump back down. They go, "There weren't any Martin, mountain goats, Peter Parker. You're stupid." And I was just like, 
I, I literally felt my retinas detach. My eyes rolled so hard during that scene. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, well, sure. And, and yes, that was, that was definitely not a thing that could ever happen. And, and not even a thing where you can be like, Oh, I'm suspending my disbelief because I'm watching a superhero movie. Yes. It's just like, that was a yeah. stupid character thing. Yeah. Um, Remove yeah, I, the I'm stupid character thing. Give me something more psychological that sets up the actual motion of the movie. Well, uh, and it could have even it could have even been that the thing that happened that was going to happen to Brad was like nuclear on a different level. Like it was going to out him to the to the whole class as somebody who takes pictures of people in the bathroom or something. Sure, sure. As opposed to this, yeah, yeah I'm with you. That could have been better. So yeah, uh, anything else, Zach, Ben? I mean, uh, like I said, I've exhausted my notes. Any other moments? I think we did all the characters. So I want. Please, I want No Way Home to be good. Please do not make this into just like more Tony Stark nonsense. Or is it the magical be like strange nonsense? Yep. yep. <sighs> Zach, I kind of love the fact where I go, any final thoughts? And you go, please just let the next movie be enjoyable. I just want to see something that doesn't make me want to die. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel going into every movie now. Yep. yep. It's sad when my favorite movie of the year is Malignant. That's sad. That, is, <laughs> really? very, that is very sad. Uh, you still got to watch uh, The Nowhere In, I'm assuming, Zach. That's going to be your favorite movie of the year. <laughs> oh, God. But no, I'm ready for questions. Okay, Ben, if you're if you're good with that too, um, if yeah, there's okay, question. well, <laughs> let's let's Ben's like hell yeah, um, you know after um, after a little over three hours, Ben's like yeah okay, I'll put the clip in right here. Ben, aren't you excited to know that the next four hours of your life are going to be spent answering questions? <laughs> so uh, I I think that this is the one time in the series where my question actually comes into play. Are we separating these or keeping them together? Because for the previous two weeks, we kind of lumped them all together. We might have had caveats for specific things like Spider-Man 3 and stuff like that. But I kind of wanted to pick your guys' brain. I don't think these movies can be lumped together. I see them as cogs in the wheel of the MCU rather than I do as an actual Spider-Man series. What do you guys think? I try not to anymore. Okay, okay, but but Ben, can you can you can you suspend your knowledge of the MCU strong enough to see these as direct, like as as far from home as a direct sequel to Homecoming? Because in all the other last two weeks, we had direct sequels, like Spider Man Two was directly tied. Yeah, go for it. In that sense, no, it's impossible. Not right. It's not a direct sequel. It's, that's just not what it is. Exactly. So that's why I'm saying I think these need to be separated. I don't think there's a really a way to lump these together, especially when we talk about, like, late night. Like, if you did a double feature of these two movies, like, you would have to inherently rely on the other person or the other people knowing what happened in between the two of them. Right? I don't know. Zach, right. I wanted to know what you thought on this, too. Oh, Steve, join them together. No, oh, God. I just, everything I just said was how we can't join them together. Rob, it's the same goddamn movie. It's all part of this nonsense. There's like 85 Marvel movies, all of it together so, now. I, I was actually a little confused by your point as well, Rob, because you were like, these are just MC cogs in the MCU machine. Yeah. It's like, okay, that leads me to believe that they should be joined together because they're just... Oh, well, well, no. If we join these together, we would have to answer our questions about every single Marvel movie. If we join these two, we join all of them, right? Okay, I, I, I guess I understand. No to late night movie, no to Cinemati. Moving on, <laughs> snacks. I, I guess I should also say that this question, as much as I love to ask it, doesn't really uh, make much of a difference on my end because I have no across the board for all of these. So, so uh, But Ben, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I enjoy both of them. If If... I'm talking to a Spider-Man fan or somebody who likes MCU shit. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
watch them. If I'm talking to somebody who wants to watch a film, no. Okay. I think you've kind of said that in the last two weeks as well, that, like, the late-night movies for you, the Spider-Man fan, is like, yeah, if I got a Spider-Man fan, let's do it. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, it's Spider-Man. Like, it doesn't doesn't matter if it's the best Spider-Man. It's still Spider-Man on the big screen. Perfect. And that's, you know, I'm sure they're, I'm sure that they could do something that would make me eat those words. But so far, (laughs) they have not, so. Okay, and I think, I think um, for Cinemodities for these two, I think... are you in agreement? Zach and I both said no for them. What do you think about? Oh the yeah, I mean they're okay. they're fucking cookie cutter Marvel movies. How could they be odd? Uh, yeah, that's kind of also what I'm what I was getting at. Like these being cogs in the MCU machine kind of precludes them from being odd in any way. Uh, at least, yeah. especially with how late in the game. Uh, like what movie sixteen, movie twenty three, or whatever I said before. So I'm yeah. with you. Wow, we're all in agreement. That usually does not happen. But um, that brings us to the restaurant. That brings us to snacks and. I think I'm going to jump on this one. I don't know if uh, you guys saw it in your research, but uh, to promote Spider-Man Homecoming, a Spider-Man-themed cafe opened in Tokyo, specifically in the Roppongi Hills, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, please, Roppongi Hills, come on this podcast and tell us how to say your name. But they, the, the press release said this. This cafe, promoting Homecoming, specifically Homecoming, uh, had, quote, arachnid-themed foods and drinks— including a spider curry, a spider sense latte, and a sweet and refreshing strawberry spider squash drink. So when I read this, I had to dive into it some more, and the press release actually has some pictures that you can find. The curry looks like a basic curry, except there's a cracker on top of it, which might not be a cracker. It might be some other food. It just looks like a cracker. But it has the Spider-Man's, like, mask design on it so like the webbed face type of thing um the latte is a regular coffee cup but it has the spider web design on the top of it um and the drink looks like a stock footage image of a pink drink there's nothing special about the uh strawberry spider squash drink i also was able to find a a picture of the cafe's interior and it is sad as shit guys it is a regular cafe and they just put decals of spider-man on the walls like it is one of the most depressing things i've ever seen so i figured are you telling me there's no actual spiders in any of the food no it's regular food it's 2d printouts of spider-man i couldn't even fucking find if they had a spider-man walk around character so in every way shape and form this restaurant is inferior to the cinemodities restaurant and my first uh pitch for our restaurant was let's just absorb this into us you know like let's start putting spiders into food let's make these things more of what they should be i think getting at what you were saying ben what do you think about that i i'm all for it there should have been actual spiders in their food. I know. I right? thought you were going to tell me that they they put this in a in a locale where spiders were some kind of delicacy, and they were serving actual spiders. I wish, Ben. I fucking wish. But this is the most basic, you know, bland type of pop up Spider Man restaurant I've ever fucking seen, and it's depressing. So let's absorb it and make it even better. <laughs> okay, another one I have to I have to throw out here because this was this was the biggest takeaway I, I got from these movies. In Homecoming, there is a scene, I don't remember exactly where, because this is a different part of my notes, so I don't have my timing right, but Aunt May and Peter Parker are at a restaurant, and Aunt May keeps saying the word LARP. LARP, yeah. My note was... What's the matter? I thought you loved LARP. It's too LARPy? Not LARPy enough. How many times do you have to say LARP before you talk to me? You know I LARP you. 
my literal note is, what the fuck is LARB? Aunt May keeps saying LARB in one scene. This is legitimately something I have never known. LARB is the national dish of Laos, which is a meat-slash-veggie salad that is a, a very specific, you know, kind of construction and presentation. LARB is an actual food! I don't know about you guys, I'm just excited that I've gone this many years in my life and I get to learn something new today from watching a stupid fucking Spider-Man movie. I don't know, did you guys know that LARB is an actual thing? Uh, I figured it it was because of the whole shawarma thing. Oh, oh gosh, shawarma. I, I did not that. think about that, Ben, but you're absolutely right. With them, they're like, oh my god, the whole Avengers doing one funny word with shawarma. They were like, what's another funny word for food or, or something? I didn't think about that yeah. at all, Ben. That makes me more upset, though, about this scene. <laughs> yeah. But LARB. I mean, LARB is a, is a real dish, so let's let's do it. Let's add the actual dish of LARB to our restaurant menu. Because, you know, and maybe it says, like, it's just called LARB on the menu. And then the subtitle that we usually would say the ingredients or something just says, like, you know, Rob did not know what this was until he was 29 or something like that, you know? <laughs> Never heard of LARB. What do you guys got? Any uh, any snacks from these movies? I only have one more, and it's not really a snack. So what do you guys got? Zach, I'll let you take this one away. I, <laughs> see if you got anything good. Oh, God, snacks in this. Um, And we should have, like, different, like, characters, like, come out on stage, just awkwardly be there to fundraise for us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, like fundraisers. Like, we should have fundraisers in the cinema of these would, restaurants. Would they be our walk-around characters or actual cameos from, like, outside sources? I don't know. A little bit of both. Like we can get the high profile person, let's go for it, but we can always settle for the non like like the good what do person you we mean? have in the restaurant. What do you mean get? We're gonna steal every intellectual property. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're trying to get celebrities though, Ben. Like we we're right again, like any good fundraising there, you need to have someone there that like people wanna like press the flesh with. So we're gonna try to get them, but if not, we can always have like one of our hokey facsimiles. Okay. I like that, Ben. I Hope like that. Simply being the uh, cornerstone of the Cinematis restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there – oh, God, I'm not going to remember it. There's some, like, famous story where, what, like, Al Capone kidnapped Fats Waller, the jazz player, and uh, he thought – like, Fats Waller thought he was, like, going to be dead. He thought he did something wrong and pissed off the wrong people. But it turns out Al Capone or his people – kidnapped him just to play the piano for a night at their club and like fats waller was found like two days later like super fucking drunk off his ass with like fifty thousand dollars in tips or something like that from from al capone i hope the the cinemas restaurant can accomplish something like that where we kidnap i don't know Katy perry and make her perform for a night you know <laughs> i'm on board for that but yeah i think we should do fundraising because other okay. than that I don't. I, I feel like there's something also with the uh, invisible plane or the like uh, not invisible, it's not invisible, reflective or something. It seems. Right? Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of having like a plane that's also um, automated, yet it needs someone to like sign off on it, like leaving the tower. <laughs> sure. I like that too. Like I, I want to have automation, but it needs to be monitored by an, like individuals at any given time. Traffic control. Oh, this is traffic control. Airplane 38, you are cleared for takeoff. Beep, beep, beep. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> like no human response or anything. <laughs> Pretty much. Something okay. that's like redundant. Sure, sure. Can we can we just say, because we didn't mention it, the heist of Vulture at the end of the first movie is kind of fucking bonkers. Like him using the Vulture suit as like a vacuum seal so he can break into the plane without changing pressure. I, I think you said it, Zach. Those last 30 minutes, that's some fun fighter Spider-Man story type of stuff. 
Exactly. The last 30 minutes of Homecoming is like everything I want out of a Spider-Man story. And uh, like it happens like like we have like the plane crashes not uh, like on the beaches of Coney Island. Yeah. Yeah. And we have like this awkward like like, oh, God, like sh- like, oh, God, reverse establishing shot where like at the very end we see like the roller coaster like brand tight like like the cyclone. The yeah, we see the cyclone. Yep. But it's at the end of the sequence, not at the beginning, which is so strange to have like a, oh God, what would you call it? Like a uh, reverse establishing shot? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, hey, you just saw that plane crash? Now guess what? It was at Coney Island. And it's just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Any other snacks from you guys? I got one more, like I said. Any more? I think that we need to have a part of the restaurant where you can uh, experience what it is to swing on a web like Spider-Man. Uh, we're going to give you a web shooter, and then we're going to let you swing face first into a building. Um, <laughs> ben, I am I'm very happy that you've pitched this because without having the spreadsheet up right now, I am fairly certain that you pitched something very similar two weeks ago. But that time you said, we want to give people spider powers so they have to climb up a wall on their fingertips because I think that's going to break their wrist. I'm pretty sure that's what you said two weeks ago. So you're adding a new layer, the Spider-Man experience, either going to break your wrist or your entire face. Definitely. Nice. Uh, that, that sounds like me. I can I can neither confirm nor deny that I said that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we should also have uh, an attraction where you can experience a, bu- a bunch of illusions and then get hit by a train. That's a good one. And that that actually, I'm glad you bring it up. I knew somebody was going to. That's my last one. We need some illusion drones and illusion technology in our restaurant. And I love that idea, Ben, that, yeah, maybe if we have a bad customer, we can illusion them into walking into a train. But I was also thinking, like, what if somebody comes into the restaurant and they order something that we actually don't have? Like, maybe we're out of stock or something like that. Or we don't remember how to make it, because that happens all the time. So I was thinking we use this illusion technology that when a customer is – they order something that we don't have in stock or we don't know how to make or whatever, we create the illusion that they're actually eating it. And of course, like we were saying before, with the damage done to the surroundings during the illusions, we're going to need some, some of our drones to actually like you know create this illusion for people. So I kind of love the idea that somebody might be sitting at a table thinking that they're eating you know a steak – but they're actually just hallucinating or being illusioned, whatever the right phrase is, that they're eating a steak. And this drone is shoveling, like, gruel into their mouth. And here's the other thing. Everybody else at the restaurant can see that they're being fed gruel by a drone. Only the customer is in the, in the illusion. I thought that would be cool. Rob, isn't this the plot to uh, next month's series of Joey Pants? Kind of. But not really, because we're not trying to keep people in our restaurant for energy. Yet. <laughs> that might change in a few weeks. Tuning a month from now in the Matrix Revolutions episode on yeah. Cinemonies. But I, I also love the idea that we can play with this in any way. You know, like, we could make people think they're in a different part of the restaurant than they actually are, you know? Um, we could fuck with people. People have been trapped in there for years. We could make them think they're near the exit, and then they get hit by a train or something like that. <laughs> I, I mean, and if, if we can... We'll might have to send out people to do research, but we could, like give people illusions that they're actually back at home Ooh, i like, like really that start to psychologically torture people yeah they come but, to the cinematis restaurant they have their meal they pay before they leave we hallucinate or make them believe that they went back home and then we start to like incept them with the idea that they have to go back to the cinematis restaurant when they've really been there the whole time but, <laughs> but, but, yeah 
but in reality, they are uh, looks directly into the lens. Far from home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm. <laughs> that was a good. Sack. I, I'm definitely. I'm definitely here for that. Um, and I, I think we do. You know, we, we we'll experiment with it, see what really works for for some people. But like, do some things where it's like we we make them think they need to come back to the restaurant. Do other things where it's like they slowly realize they they're still at the restaurant. And do other things where we make them think that their house is haunted and shit. Like, just fucking run with it, you know? Yes, absolutely. Oh, Ben, I love that idea. I want somebody who's in the restaurant thinking they're at their own home and they think they're microwaving something. But when they open the microwave, just like a ton of cigarettes fall out. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a great idea. That's a perfect usage of it. Yeah, okay. Right on, right on. That uh, just illusion drones and technology was my last snack. Any others from you guys or or any uh any more continuations on the illusion drone which I'm sure will come up a lot more? <laughs> Cuz that's a very versatile thing we have now. I mean, we could also we could also just get a mannequin of Zendaya and convince everybody it's actually Zendaya. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the idea of having a mannequin Zendaya, or let's go with the like Madame Tussauds wax sculpture of Zendaya, and everybody's whoa, like, whoa. looks so real, and it's like, no, Look, that's that's her. She's just hibernating right now. May, may I may I may I take it one step further <laughs> okay. and like regress it? Can we get a cardboard cutout of Zendaya? <laughs> And um, everybody's like, is this actually Zendaya? And it's like, yeah, yeah, she's she's always been a two-dimensional figure. And be like, I've seen her in movies. She looks 3D. No, that's a trick of the light. That's movie magic right there. <laughs> exactly. No, we, we, could, uh, we could go the other way and actually have the real Zendaya and try to convince people it's a mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> I, imagine that conversation. Like, Zendaya, we want you in our restaurant for a night. What do I have to do? Just stand there. <laughs> Just- just do whatever you did in Homecoming. Yeah. Remember that performance? Channel that again. <laughs> All right. Okay. Right on. If there's nothing else, that brings us to the end. So we finished our main Spider-Man franchise series. Uh, next two weeks, we're going to be diving into uh, the villains. So next week is going to be the Venoms, those two movies. And then we are still up in the air what the hell we're doing for the last episode. It's going to be some animated Spider-Man, but uh, uh, we'll figure out whenever we figure that out, I guess is the best way to say it. So what do we say at the end of this? What do we got to pitch? Patreon. Let's do that, Ben. Patreon, come listen to it. It's great stuff. Bonus content, um, supporting the podcast. God, I don't remember when this is coming out. I think the last thing... Um, oh, actually, oh shit, look at that. This is coming out the same day that the first episode of us discussing the second season of Adventure Time comes out on Patreon, Ben. So oh, nice. this is a grand event. So if you are into what we've discussed here, if you like Adventure Time, head on over to the Patreon because we have some great discussions about that. Anything you want to say about the Patreon, Ben? Any pitch you want to put out there? Uh, we love your support, and if you don't already support us, you should stop doing that and start supporting us. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, I think other than that, uh, as always, I think our audience has heard it in this series, Ben, but uh, I've used your Magic the Gathering Life Counter app. It is very efficient, albeit a little cluttered, which I think you fixed, uh, you said two weeks ago. Uh, so I will put I those didn't. links in there, and everybody should check that out if you are playing that game. Um, yeah, definitely. Miss- yeah. Definitely check out the Life Counter. Uh, I'm also selling some cards on TCG Player. Not that that is... Oh, okay. I mean, if you're buying cards on TCG Player, you know how to use it, and you're not <laughs> using... You're not trying to find it by seller. But um, if you do happen to order from me, I am including custom Rocket Bear tokens, which are also business cards that you can show off. 
that you bought cards for me. And also, I guess if you just want some custom Rocket Bear tokens, you should probably get in contact with us through the uh, the email and hit me up, and I'll see what I can do about it. Yeah, all those links will be in the show notes uh, appropriately. Zach, what do you got to pitch? What do you want to say about the Patreon, Zach? I love asking you this question. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I'm trying to pitch Ben Rob on a special uh, tier of the podcast for a very special listener. Um, <laughs> hopefully by uh, six, to eight, six to seven months from now, um, I will be able to get that done. If you okay. ever want to hear me, if you ever want to hear me on the Patreon, subscribe to that tier when we eventually get to it. <laughs> oh, Zach, don't be so modest. We're, you know we're probably going to put you on a Spider-Man episode on the Patreon. Oh God, no! <laughs> I'm only I'm only on the cold tier. Yeah, you have to earn me. Like I am, I am a like top shelf whore. Like you got to pay the big dollars <laughs> to get me. That is the two hundred dollar a month tier that he's referring to. So yes. Yes. For all those people that are considering that. And I'm glad you brought it up, Bet, uh, Zach. The very special person who you also said was Nicole. I just want to say, we don't even need to get into it. I just want to have it somewhere in an episode. Nicole, are you getting my emails? Are you reading my emails? Seems like you aren't. Let's see if we hear back. <laughs> Let's see how that goes in a non-email form of communication. Well, with all that out of the way, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to check out the Patreon, link will be in the show notes. Definitely support the podcast. You get more episodes. If you want to harass us through email, cinemodities at gmail.com. And as always, check out the Cinemodities subreddit, uh, reddit.com slash r slash cinemodities, for more information about the show and to see what other people, how they're um, thinking about this Spider-Man series. I think that's the last post that was in there. I guess that leaves us with how do we end this episode. And guys, I'm kind of torn. I know this is you've you've all been mulling this over while we've been discussing this, of course. But there were two needle drops in the in Spider-Man: Homecoming that I was I kind of still haven't figured out which one. No, not the credits. Actually, there needle drops in the movie. At one point, we hear an instrumental version of Spoon's "The Underdog." And of course, I don't even think I need to say this, but uh, the song The Underdog from Spoon is off their album Ga 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 Ga. That is a fact. (laughs) But we also get a needle drop in the first movie from Save It For Later by The Beat, who in America you might know as The English Beat if you were alive in the 80s uh, or in a teenager in the 80s. I don't know which one I want to use, guys. Should I do a medley again? Were there any other songs I'm missing? We're not using Back in Black by Led Zeppelin, because that's a joke in the second movie. Um, I don't know. Any, any thoughts on how do we end this episode, or are you just going to throw it over to me with my medley again? <laughs> I think you need to sing that Nightmare Before Christmas thing again. <laughs> Should our <laughs> outro just become me singing Sally's song every time? <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, I, I'm I'm happy to let you to let you pick the music, Rob. I know okay. that matters to Zach, you. Zach, what were you saying with the end credits? I didn't I didn't even write down anything. Vacation's well, all well, I ever yeah, wanted. That, I, I don't know. No, I don't like oh, that wait, hold on. Was, was Kids in America in one of these movies? Honestly, if you yeah. asked me that as, as a trivia night, I would have said, I would say yes, because that's my guess, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> I have heard that song very recently. It sounds like it would fit in this film, absolutely. And... These are the things I've watched most recently, which makes me think. <laughs> no, when I search this, what I'm getting is that Tom Holland dressed up as Spider-Man and visited kids at hospitals. So, <laughs> cool. That's... 
I'll play that in reverse. <laughs> Tom Holland's Make-A-Wish appearances. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>